Alright, AK heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner, presented by Century Arms. We are in season two, and this is episode 10 of 12. So we've only got two more months of the Talking Lead AK Corner of all the goodness that you love each and every month that Brian and I have been bringing. Uh, you've only missed one episode this uh, this season, Brian, and I commend you for that, brother. Well, thank you. I'm doing my best. So Brian is with Occam Defense Solutions. He is the uh, owner, proprietor. Uh, he designed, started off with the RTS, is what got him into it, which is that, is, did I say it? Is it RST or RTS? RST, the rear sight tower. Rear yep. sight tower, RST. And uh, I've used that product. You've heard me talk about it. And But since then, Brian's like, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well just go ahead and make a full AK. So that uh, was the birth of the ODS-1775, which you, you uh, leadheads can't seem to get enough of. Yeah, thank you to all you guys, leadheads, that are that are really spreading the word there. We've got a big crew of you guys who seem to know each other in general, and we're just really grateful for the support. And uh, they're also chill dudes. We we don't like working with jerks, and uh, we're blessed <laughs> to not have any of them. So thank you, guys. Well, if you're a member of the Leadhead Brigade, you're not a jerk. I mean, this is number one rule. So the Leadhead <laughs> Brigade takes care of each other. And they take care of our sponsors, so make sure you do that. Bringing you this each and every month is Century Arms. Unfortunately, they couldn't join us uh, this episode, so we're going to miss uh, Adam and the gang, Jay, um, Andrew, that typically join us. Uh, but to fill that gap, we, uh, we had to bring somebody in extra special, and he is a returning guest to the Talking Lead podcast and the AK Corner. He was on last year's Season 1, Episode 11 with Vincent Buckles over at Mesa Kinetic Research. And uh, he was also on one of our regular episodes. I bring you, ladies and gentlemen, from Utah, it's Mr. Jeff Kirkham. Welcome in, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Marty. It's cool to be here again. I'm looking forward to the to the discussion. Yeah, man. Uh, there's been a lot that's happened since the last time that you were on, so we've got a lot of catching up to do with you and, uh, I mean, all the things that you're doing. You've got many irons in many more fires so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and we've got a cool topic that we're gonna talk about. It's not really a topic, I don't guess, but it's it's more of a I don't know how would you describe it, Brian? Oh gosh, it's some people's whole lives, but uh, you know, being a competent human would be how I would put it generally. <laughs> exactly, and and Jeff's done a, a whole line of fiction and nonfiction books on this, and uh, we're gonna get into that. But uh, make sure you go and support the other sponsors of our show. Of course, Occam Defense Solutions. And Brian's got some news he's going to be dropping on you leadheads here a little bit later. IWI US, um, newest sponsors of the Talking Lead AK Corner. They're joining us here for the last four episodes this month. And I'm sure that they're going to uh, continue that uh, in months to come. So make sure you go show IWI some love. Um, US Palm, the magazines, the grips. Uh, U.S. Palm has given out, I don't know how many dozens of magazines to you leadheads uh, over these past uh, nine months, but I know a lot of you have won those, and they've got a new translucent, and it was an FDE mag that they've got out now with the U.S. Palm, so go check them out. 
And then, of course, Red Army Standard for your your food for your AK-47. I know my ODS-1775 loves the uh, Red Army Standard, red box and white box, both. Uh, the red box being their premium, and uh, I've been getting a little better performance out of the red box than the white box. But since you and I talked last, Brian, uh, I haven't had a chance to take it out. Uh, there's just weather and traveling and all that, but this week... I've slated one day this week to go out and then do some more of my, like our our last episode, last month's episode was about, was about obtaining the precision from the AK. Uh, I'm going to go do some more precision shooting with my AK. Yeah, you know, we've been uh, playing with that ACSS second focal plane reticle from Primary Arms that we talked about in that show. Mm -hmm. And I am an enthusiastic supporter of it now out of eight guns that I tested last Friday Four of them I got to test because they didn't order sights. They, we, I got to use the, the ACSS on it, and every one of them I got two bullets in one hole. Wow. And you're doing your test from uh, how far? Uh, 50 yards. 50 yards? Yep. And so, you know, they're, they're stupid accurate. The, that's, that sight is, or the optic is just great. I really like it. So, um, so far, holding up great under recoil, no issues. Yeah. I think since that episode, they had a run on the the on their scopes there and they were supposed to send me one but they just they sold out so i haven't had a chance to test it yet but i'm looking forward to that uh as as i've been letting everybody know i'm taking mine out i'm setting up for hunting jeff i'm going to do a hunting build with my ods 1775 i'm going to take down some deer and some hogs and um whatever else might wander through my sights as long as it's legal you know as long as it's in season <laughs> Uh, it'd be cool to get the feedback on that and see what you think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, make sure you go back to last episode if you didn't get a chance uh, to listen to that. Uh, as Brian said, Primary Arms was on there. We talked about their line of scopes and optics that they have specifically for the 7.62 by 3.9 round. Uh, and as Brian said, apparently they're, they're spot on. So go check those out. We had uh, our good buddy Jared from 212 Training Group was on. And uh, he's talked about, he was talking about the training uh, classes that they have. I think they had to postpone one or something due to the, the COVID. But as far as I know, he's still, he's still got his other ones scheduled and he's, he's doing the training uh, all, all across uh, the United States. Uh, and he doing one up in your neck of the woods? We're looking at April for that. We decided to push it from this fall just because we're coming up on the election and okay. it's just... Yeah. Things are weird. And they're doing specific AK training courses. So using the AK-47. But they, you know, they'll train with anything. Handguns, rifles, uh, just a top-notch outfit there out of Texas. Jared at 212 Training. Make sure you go show them some love. Uh, and then, of course, Adam and Brian join us on the last episode, too. So this episode, Jeff Kirkham. So I'm going to get it right this time, too. 29 years plus. Um, veteran, Green Beret. Inventor of the Rats Tourniquet, co-founder Ready Man Network, um, author of the Black Autumn uh, post-apocalyptic book series. You can find those on Amazon. I guess you could probably go to Ready Man. They're probably on Ready Man too. Uh, you can find that that list of books. Uh, and then he's got some books on being prepared. Um, what? Are, give me hit me with those names real quick. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got the. Um the bug out series that we wrote it's it's a, a graphic instructional uh manual 
that so it's kind of done in cartoon style that's available on amazon um let me see that we've got the black autumn uh series where we've got the anthologies that are that are on there um so last air so we've got black autumn black autumn last air force one black autumn travelers black autumn conquistadors and then the black autumn anthology that's a, a group of short stories uh, that we put together and all of those have lessons in there. Black Autumn started as a war gaming exercise where it was just me and, and, uh, Jason, Jason and I wrote it together and, um, and it started out as kind of like in the movies when you have one of those, you know, ongoing chess games between the, between the two guys. Well, this was essentially an ongoing chess game that, uh, every time we get together, it'd be like, well, what do you think could happen? And if that happened, then what would, you know, what would the fallout of that be? And at some point, I think it was Jason said, man, we should write this into a novel. So we did. And so nice. essentially it was a bunch of stuff that we hadn't until we started digging into it. I mean, that's why the military war games, because it allows you to explore the what ifs. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's what we did. And so it's kind of our take of what, um, what could happen. And, and it's eerily, um, I mean, it's eerily similar to stuff that has already happened, is continuing to happen. Actually, the sequel um, is called White Wasteland, and we haven't released it yet. We're in the middle of a re-edit of it, and it and it starts kind of a spoiler alert, but it starts with um, uh, H1N1, the flu coming through and <laughs> wiping out a whole bunch of people in uh, in wintertime right after the first 17 days. So, you know, and, and about the time we're getting ready to release it is when COVID was, uh, was hitting. And so we oh, were like, wow. we'll get it and, you know, we'll probably hold off on releasing it. So yeah, there's lots of lessons to be learned there. And then, and then I've written a couple of, of, uh, leadership manuals for, you know, for the uh, leadership and planning manuals that are military. So anybody that has a hard time falling asleep at night, you can grab one of those books and <laughs> It'll put you right out. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. Um, but you also have uh, some survival and preparedness books out. Uh, Beginner, Emergency Survivor Preparedness, How to Prepare for Emergency, Job Loss, or a Total Collapse. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you've got the, uh, is it the 365 Days. Well, that's unlocking there. I'll just jump in that the rat's tourniquet, while it's great and I carry one every day and give them to friends and family and trust my life to them, that's like one of Jeff's lesser inventions. The stack of inventions and patents that he has to his name is crazy. And uh, there's one that I won't describe at all in detail, but um, physicists told him it was physically impossible. And then he showed them that the thing worked. Well, and and he, he, he showed me how... We we got to talking one night and You've the brilliance. My interest. I I don't I don't know that I can say what it is, but but it's it's really cool and um, it just take it from one one trained physicist that he's got a a, a very strange and wonderful brain. <laughs> so our leadheads are familiar with the rats tourniquet. Uh, we gave several of those away through your generosity uh, from the last show uh, when we were doing. Uh, I think it was our. Uh, fifth year, sixth year, I don't know what it was, some celebration we did, and you were generous enough to, to offer up several of those rats tourniquets, and they got out to several of our leadheads, so uh, thank you for that. But if they haven't had an opportunity, uh, where can they go and check out the, the rats tourniquet? You, you can actually you can pick them up right off of, off of readyman.com. We've, we've got them on there, so, I mean, that's a, that's a great place to go. I think at the time you had about 50 
uh, firsthand account stories of people using those. Has that grown since then? I know you're uh, looking for more stories from people. We're actually, we're well over 100 now. I just oh, nice. interviewed a guy two weeks ago. He himself had three saves. He was a search and rescue. He's a former SEAL. Um, and then he's a search and rescue guy down in um, uh, around the Grand Canyon. And he uh, applied two on one person in a car wreck and then another one on another person in a car wreck. Saved their lives, applied one to a leg of a girl that was in a helicopter crash. Um, so helped uh, helped keep her alive so she could get to the hospital. I mean, unfortunately, she was burned very badly, and so she, you know, she ended up um, passing away. But but at least she got to the hospital long enough. She died a, a couple of, I think it was a couple of weeks later from the uh, mm. complication from the burns. But um, but gave they, her a fighting the, chance though. Yeah, got her, got her a fighting chance. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, we just had another save up in Ogden City. Um, somebody had gotten stabbed with a knife and used a tourniquet on him to save, you know, to save his life. So, yeah, we're we're a little over a hundred now of of the ones that we know of saves that we know of. Very good. So, uh, if you guys have any stories that you want to share with Jeff, uh, if you've uh, had the uh, misfortune to use the rat's tourniquet, but fortunately for somebody that you had it. Uh, where can they go and share those stories? Hey, they can just email me. Just e- you know, email info at readymanteam.com or email me, Jeff, at readymanteam.com and uh, blast them over. I'd, I'd love to see them. There's nothing more, you know, out of out of all of my inventions and stuff, I, I think the one that I get the most, you know, self-fulfillment out of is when I hear the stories of people. Like, I talked to a guy, it's been about a year ago, so I don't think you knew about this one, Marty, is a father and son were out um, deer hunting. Dad was in a tree stand, son was back at the camp, and, uh, and the tree stand collapsed, so dad fell out of the tree, shoved his tip fib through the right side of his ankle. Um, dad had a heart condition, so he's on blood thinners, you know, obviously severed, um, tons of vessels down in the bottom of his foot, you know, at the side of his foot started screaming for his son. So his son thought that, uh, he was being attacked by a mountain lion or something. Oh, I, I don't know. Lions in Missouri. He thought he was being attacked. So he went sprinting off with his pistol and left his med kit back at the camp and, um, got to his dad and his dad was like, Hey, do you have that tourniquet in your pocket? You always do. And he was like, yeah, he just so happened He's like, I carry your tourniquet every single day, pulled it out of his pocket, stuck it on his dad's leg to keep him from bleeding out because of the blood thinners he was on. Yeah. And then it took a, it was about two or three hours, I think it was about an hour and a half to two hours before they got him out of there to an ambulance where he could get to a hospital, made a full recovery. But, you know, oh, dad, right. you know, son saving dad's life, pretty, you know, pretty humbling on my part to, to talk to that guy. It was just yeah. Super cool moment. You know, that happens like, probably more times than we hear about as far as, uh, you know, the tree stands, the deer stands, people falling out of those or they, you know, breaking and falling. And, you know, because people sometimes will leave those up year after year. And then, you know, that those wraps, you know, they deteriorate after time. And sure enough, boom, that's going to happen. But mm-hmm. That's a great story, yeah. especially with hunting season coming up. Yeah, broadheads especially for you bow hunters out there. That's a super common way for people to die while hunting is they'll slip and they'll have an arrow unguarded in some way and, and slip their femoral or something like that and get into a real bad way. So really, you know, you, there's no, Jeff's tourniquet is so small and so unobtrusive. There's just no excuse 
not to be having one. Yeah. We we actually another one of our saves is from a broadhead. Um, actually, two of our saves are from that one. You know, and, and there was no uh, kind of interesting stories. The first one was a guy was looking for a tool behind his uh, toolbox, and there was a broadhead back there, and he shoved it through his uh, through his wrist, <sighs> cut the the break or cutting the uh, radial artery. Um, happened to have my turn to get there, and then the and then the other one is a guy was walking across a grass field. And um, there was a broadhead sticking in the in the was laying in the grass, and so it ended up punji staking him through the leg. So he was oh, wasn't shot. He walked into it and um, put it right through his leg. Happened to have my tourniquet with him and um, put it on his leg, and then got back to where he could get medical attention. So, you know, weird, strange. It, what's interesting to me is like the you know the the number of saves that we have. Very few of them have anything to do with violence. You know, maybe less than ten. Accidents. They're yeah. they're accidents. I mean, we had a guy. We we just had another one. I start talking about it. I'm remembering we had another one where a guy was splitting wood with a wedge. So he had a wedge and a sledgehammer, <laughs> and he was splitting wood. He hit he hit the wedge. The wedge had started to mushroom on the top. He hit the wedge. A piece of the wedge flew off, hit him in his radial artery, started pouring blood everywhere, and. Um, you know, they happen to one of the guys that came by to help happen to have a tourniquet, have one of my rats on him, and and uh, threw it on his arm and saved that guy's life. Took him to the hospital. Damn. Yeah, that's a the only other place I've heard of that happening is with climbers, aid climbers. You know, or hammering in pitons in the rock, and they'll be real close to that to that piton. They pull them when they leave, but if you let them mushroom too far, that same thing I've heard of happening there. So. Sounds like advice to be grinding down the mushroom as it starts to occur. Yeah, definitely. So the reason reason we're talking about this is going to lead into our our main topic here. This is the AK corner. This isn't the tourniquet corner, but I mean, this is great great information, and you know, our, our listeners, are, I guarantee, are eating this up. Uh, but it's you know, it's about being prepared and prepping in today's society with the coronavirus and uh, the civil disorder that's going on. Uh, the other book that I that I didn't mention was 365 Days of Survival. It's the Ready Man edition. Uh, foundational critical thinking and skills for personal security, travel security, and survival. Um, you know, with with what's going on, you know, people are thinking this is the apocalypse. You know, the end of the world, and and you know, with businesses being shut down, people haven't been able to go, you know, get their normal supplies of groceries and fuel and you know all the the normal a lot of people found that they weren't prepared for something like this even though they thought they might have been and uh you know what we want to talk about today jeff's got some great stories on prepping but he's also got some great information on why the ak uh, and the ak for uh, platform makes a great survival weapon so with that let's uh let's turn it over to jeff Thanks. Yeah, you know, we'll probably just start right there with, uh, with the AK, and, and part of the reason why I think it's a great platform, I carried that for folks that don't know. I, I, I spent a, a ton of time in combat zones. You know, over the, over the space of about 13 years, I racked up about eight years over there and um, doing combat operations. The whole time I was over there, I carried an AK just because I had fallen in love with a, with a platform and simplicity. I was also embedded with Afghans and Iraqis that were uh, they were using AKs, so I thought it only made sense to use what they were using. Yeah. 
And, and for um, you guys who, who haven't listened to Jeff on our episodes before, go back to episode 296 uh, and 299, and he goes into more detail about his time over in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And, um, and, and, and I think if you look at now, why is the AK, I, I think, a great, um, you know, a great rifle for emergency preparedness? Um, you know, first and foremost, if you look at the way that the rifle, you look at the men who developed the rifle, they had just come out of World War II. It was it was still in the late 40s. The Soviets had lost uh, estimates of anywhere between 20 and 30 million people. Every single Russian was was affected by World War II in a in a bad way. Yeah. And uh, Stalin in the late 40s, Stalin had he had two things that he put emphasis on. Well, three. One was maintaining power. Two was nukes. And three was an assault rifle that later became the AK-47. And that rifle was developed by uh, men who had fought the Waffen-SS on, on, on the Eastern Front. So probably one of the finest mechanized infantry armies that has ever uh, been in warfare was the Waffen-SS. You know, their politics and the horrific nature of those guys aside, they were very good. And they were just do- running there, I think the body count at one point was like sixty to one, Jeez. from Germans to uh, to uh, Russians. But yeah. the problem they ran into was that because the Germans had decided to invade, they got hit with winter, and so now all of a sudden, put yourself in these guys' mindset. Right, men were starving to death, they were freezing to death. They didn't. Everybody's seen the movies where it's like one guy got ammo, the other guy got a rifle. And if you weren't gonna, and if you weren't going to charge, then the the commissar would shoot you in the head with a, you know, with a Makarov, and so you know, ready, set, go, and charge. Well, these men had come out of that and said, okay, we need a rifle, and this goes into why I think it's a great, you know, a great option for emergency preparedness. It was designed to work when there was no resupplies. It was designed to work when when there when other people were starving or there wasn't oil or there wasn't some of the other stuff it was designed to work when it was freezing cold and in the mud it was all of that was designed and it's like the more that i dig into that rifle the more i'm just amazed at the genius of the simplicity of it and how much is how much is um you know how much thought went into it you know they had stalin was in a unique position to where he was worried about the Americans coming in. That was the fold a gap you know, scenario. If you were ever in the military in the eighties, we would train for the fold a gap because that was where the Russians were going to come screaming through in to invade Europe. And so that was the scenario with well, Stalin was sitting at a time where it's like, I need a rifle that I can compete with mechanized infantry, advanced mechanized infantry. But he was also scared of training his soldiers too much because it was a conscript army. You wanted just enough that you could win, but not enough that they could all of a sudden return and, and take power. And so when the rifle was designed that way, that's why I tell people the AK is actually more ergonomic than any of the other rifles that are out there because it was designed to be put into the hands of a conscript, but still be able to keep up with a, with a modern mechanized infantry. And it's it's just it's a fantastic platform. It's 30 cal. I mean, you can get it in any caliber just about now, but 30 cal seems to be the sweet spot for, you know, knocking men down as well as, I mean, so you can kill a deer with it and you can kill a man with it. So it's, it's a, it's a great platform. Yeah. And you don't get the, the over penetration either. So, you know, that's a, 
a good aspect of it. Now, if you ask Marco Vorbiv, he'll say the five four five. Remember that, Brian? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Do you know Marco, uh, Jeff? I I do not. What did he say about the five four five? I just uh, we were talking about you know how great the seven six two but three nine is, and he goes, you know, I res- he's he's a former Spetsnaz, and he's a historian knows a ton about not just AKs but you know all firearms. He's a, he's a very smart guy, but. Uh, he was just like, you know, I respectfully disagree. You know, the 545 is uh, my preferred. And, uh, you know, he just went on a little rant about it. But Well, the 545, in, in some respects, I would agree with him. And so, and bear with me here a second. The 545 was, you know, was developed, actually that round was developed about the same time as the 762-39 was, uh, was developed, the, the uh, short little round. And um, the Soviets, Soviets decided they're like that bullet's too small. They were messing, they were messing with uh, with bullets with that were higher velocity. And then Vietnam came around and they saw the Americans with the M16s um, in Vietnam, and they're like, okay, small round probably has a place here. And so they started up the you know continued and finished the development of the uh, of the 545. Now the 545 is a wicked round. If you're doing CQB or you're doing close end fighting, I mean it. It is the, in Afghanistan. The Afghans called it the poison bullet. If you look, watch gel blocks of it because it has three millimeters of hollow space under its nose cone. It does a double ninety yaw as it's going through a gel block. You know when it hits a man, it's just devastating because all of a sudden it, it's yawing. Puts it's the brakes long, on. It, it, exactly. <laughs> I mean yeah. it's 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 so. You know, so that it's a great round. I mean, it doesn't kick hardly at all. It's like you're shooting a 22. Um, you know, but as far as like an all around, you know, a 30 cal, you need something that can smash through cover. Do you know what I mean? So that yaw all of a sudden starts to give you problems depending on what type of warfare you're having. If you need to start shooting through cover like trees and brush and cars, um, all of a sudden the five, four, five, they try to make up with that with a steel core, but it really, it's still yaws and you're still bleeding that energy off. And so that's where the 30 cal, it's like, we, we seem to keep going back to the 30 cal cause it just seems to be the, the sweet spot for that stuff. Yeah. It's like a hammer. Well, you know, th- that's where it gets into what the perfect rifle is and there isn't one. It's mm-hmm. really dependent on what your mission is. And mm-hmm. so if you're in a dense neighborhood and you're really worried about shooting your neighbor's kids by accident if you overpenetrate through your house while you're whacking a bad guy, then 545 might be a way better solution. But if we're talking about the prepper round where you need to be able to push through cover and maybe punch through a car and, and torch some bad guys, you know, then then you get back to Jeff's point on 30 cal. Yeah. When I, th- makes, I think in I, an apocalyptic world, too, you're not going to be worried about overpenetration. Exactly. Yeah, so... So defining the uh, the mission profile, as it were, is is I think an important context for for what Jeff's talking about with the all around grid down, you know, yeah. getting everything done kind of gun. And you had talked about this a little bit in the prior episodes, Jeff. You know, it's it's the type of ammo that you use too. You know, if you've got that, uh, is it tungsten core? Um, you know, then you're going to get that over penetration. But I guess most of the AK rounds aren't going to have that that steel core. Most of it, there is some rounds that are out there, but more and more because the popularity of the 7.62 by 39 is is popped up. You know, you're, there are a variety of rounds that are available. I just saw some hollow points that somebody was making. So, 
you're 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 getting some some alternatives that you don't necessarily have to worry about junky old you know former soviet bloc mass produced you know garbage ammo and and um you know which probably when people talk about inaccuracy and stuff i mean if you're shooting garbage ammo your accuracy goes to hell but um but yeah there's more and more options out there now yeah definitely. yeah our friends at Defiant Munitions, who I don't think I've necessarily introduced you to, Jeff, make a uh, a machined solid copper hollow point that is just nasty and very accurate. And uh, it does amazing things to gel and also to four-legged critter critters. Um, I have no personal experience on the two-legged variety, but what it does to hogs is uh, is pretty special. It's special. I, I like the way he says that. <laughs> So um, let's kind of rewind a little bit. So the AK, what you know, what makes it the perfect prepper's gun, post-apocalyptic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, ergonomics was, uh, was was kind of one of the things you were touching on. Did we did we get all the ergos that you wanted to, to hit on there? Yeah, I mean, I think you can, you know, and this is like an ongoing debate in the, you know, kind of in that demographic with emergency preparedness. There's a there's a pretty good argument to be said that you know, an AR platform is, is the way to go because there's just so many spare parts that are out there. Um, and there's so much ammo that's available that's out there. So, I mean, that's, that's a super valid argument. You know, you look at the, you know, look, you look at a good AK, I mean, the thing will probably never break on you. And if it does, it's probably not that difficult to fix. I mean, we had AKs that were, that were stamped made in 1953, that we were pulling off the battlefield in Afghanistan and they worked great. As a matter of fact, I had one and it was my PT rifle that I would go do PT with out on the, you know, when I'd go work out on the range and it was a 1953 milled receiver AK that shot, you know, shot just, I mean, it shot great, you know, and I never, never cleaned it and, and whatnot. It's just kept, kept going, never had any problems with it. So, you know, there's an argument to be made. I actually, there was somebody else had a great argument for shotguns because you can do so much with a shotgun. I was like, okay, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So, you know, and I think that, I think probably the point to take away from, you know, from overall is, you know, it can be the best rifle in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, you haven't trained with it, you don't, you don't know the nuances of it, then it's not the best rifle in the world for you. It's like what I tell people with tourniquets is, is like, is the rat's tourniquet the best tourniquet? You know what? The best tourniquet is the one that you have on you at the time and when you need it. And what it, whatever that is, um, whether it's mine or somebody else's, you know, it's and it's the same thing with rifles. Make sure that you and just because you put a rifle in somebody's hands doesn't make them a rifleman. You got to get out there and shoot the thing and train it and train with it and make sure that it even functions and um, and learn the nuances of that. But I will say that when we've had students and we'd run them through an m4 course when i was in the in the mill with people that were you know basically admin folks that had to get qualified before they'd head over we would do a um we would do a familiarization class that was like a day or you know less than a day with the ak and um all of them could pick it up and were immediately accurate on the um on the targets and that's you know that's a testament to the ergonomics of of the rifle i've actually i've got like a three-hour class that i've um, teach from time to time that's all about the AK and, and its internal workings and its history and, and all of that stuff. And just some of the little nuances that I've discovered that I, I don't believe are hapstance. I believe were absolutely designed by those men that, you know, they survived 
fighting on the Eastern Front, and so they built all that stuff in there purposely. Now, you were, I think it was you that had, had mentioned this, where you were over there, uh, you, you would find AKs, obviously, laying around, um, but you were just amazed at like how they made the parts from just whatever they had laying around, you know, the car parts or, you know, whatever, the receivers made out of just spare metal that they had from whatever they could get. You know, one of the one of the guys that taught me a lot about AKs was this hillbilly from, from the mountains of Arkansas. Yeah. You know, and if you looked at the guy, you'd think, man, did you know, this guy even graduate um, elementary school? But as soon as you started talking to him about AKs, it was like, man, you know, get out your notebook and your pencil because this guy unbelievable knowledge in the internal workings and the geometry of what was taking on. And his first AK that he'd ever built, he had snuck into his house. He was poor. He's living in a cabin, you know, and he had old garage. that was a shed where he'd do his gun stuff. He snuck into the house and stole one of his wife's cookie sheets. And, and, <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and that into a receiver and made his, uh, made his first AK. And, and he told me, he was like, that's when he, really fell in love with it because he was like, I'll, I'll be damned. This is a, this is a great design. It's worth." And he was like, you know, they, it wasn't anything beautiful that he put together. He's like, but man, this, this thing was working. And that's where people say that, rat, you know, AKs are rat traps and that's why they're reliable. I think that's anything but the truth. I believe that the design is good enough that even though you've got rat trap manufacturers out there, it still works and continues to work. And once you get a good AK that's locked in, like what Brian's making up there at Occam Defense, man, it is a it is a thing of beauty. Like I've bought two um, AKs from Brian Pistols, and um, they they are my favorite rifles that I've got in my in my uh, you know in my safe, and love to take them out and shoot them. They're just a blast to shoot and easy to. I mean, they're just fantastic. Well, yeah. no. Well, thank you, Jeff. That's kind of you to say. Um, the uh, One of the best innovations I've seen for the AK is something that Jeff came up with, and he told me about, and I thought he was crazy when he first said it, but he's like, yeah, take a, a spam can opener and cut, cut three inches of it off or so and weld that onto the right side of the mag well, and it is a performance enhancement like you won't believe. And... I'm like, okay, and I talked to a really good welder, and he says, that guy's crazy. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not a good enough welder. And then I found a guy who was crazy enough to do it, and we tried it, and uh, it worked phenomenally well. And it's called the Kirkham Shell, and um, it lets you index an AK mag, um, kind of like how the FAL does. It just gives you a registration point. And what's crazy about it is that it improves both beginner and competitor performance dramatically my competitors like jared from 212 um he shaved a half a second off of his reload time which for competition is a huge deal and when i put the shelf you know one of our guns with the shelf on it in the hands of a rank beginner they can just see the mag it just works it's like they've been practicing for two hours you know it, and so it rarely can you buy performance um, but, but that invention there is, is a performance upgrade for any, for everybody. We, we offer that as an option. We don't advertise it heavily, but, uh, yeah, um, you lead heads for sure. We'll put one on for you. And I've got and, one on mine. Mine came with one. And, uh, that's right. <laughs> when it came, I was like, okay, 
I haven't seen this before. And I mean, I, I kind of guessed what it was for. I was like, you know, this is obviously something to help with the, the reload. And of course, I had to call you just to make sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you were initially like, WTF. I was a little skeptical. Yeah, I was a little yeah. skeptical about it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But uh, since I've, I've used it, uh, I definitely, I mean, once, once you, you know, take it out and you use it once, you'll figure it out. It's, it makes a lot of sense after you after you put it in uh, in use, but I'm glad you put that on there. I wasn't expecting that. That was a nice well, you addition. You told me to make the nicest one I knew how to do. So I did. That, that's <laughs> we uh, so when when I first met Brian, he was he showed me his rail because I had a I used to my rifle that was over you know that I carried overseas. I had an X47 rail system on it. They'd last you know a couple of years and then they you know the the screw the the threads would get start wearing out, worn yeah. out it'd come loose and it wouldn't hold the zero stuff anymore and so i'd throw it away and buy a new one and put it on and so anyways i saw i saw brian's and i was always trying to figure out ways i was constantly the the unit i was in we could modify our guns and it wasn't like regular mill where somebody would have a conniption if you did that like we cut off barrels routinely and just modify stuff, trying to make it better for doing low vis operations or full blown assaults or whatever. And, and um, so my rifle that I had overseas looked essentially like a, a Draco. And um, um, so I had modified that and I'd put a shelf on it. I was a, you know, as a, a weapons guy in special forces and I was familiar with the FAL and I was like, I wonder if I could do that with a, with an AK. And so I did. And like what Brian was saying is, you know, I, I went down to our welders that was in our unit because we had internal mechanics and welders, this little Afghan dude. And I was like, hey, man, I need a piece of metal welded on right here. And, and so he went over, grabbed a spam can and and uh, he was like, yeah, I got a piece of metal right here. Cut off the <laughs> cut off the, you know, the, the tuna can opener, cut a piece of that off, got a stick welder, <laughs> welded it on there. It looked like, you know some juvenile had done it with a with bubble gum and i was like okay I, hopefully this doesn't blow up on my face took it out to the range shot it i was like that's perfect cleaned up the welds a little bit more you know deburred the inside and um i carried that i carried that series for i mean 10 years is is what i did and um i think there's uh, you know it, it's it's a game changer i mean reloading right-handed or left-handed reloading in the in the uh in the dark did he cerakote yours yellow on the inside marty <laughs> no was he supposed to have done that <laughs> yes i, I think there's a my my cerakoter you wanted tiger stripe too and he said that's too many things he doesn't get the, the zombie green no yeah i think there's a <laughs> penis on the inside of mine that that, that that is true, and, and yeah, we have, we have sufficient respect for uh, Master Sergeant Kirkham here that we don't we don't put cocks on his. But yeah, yeah, other folks definitely get get some artwork in special places. Yeah, yeah, I, I got the big car, the big cock on mine, so uh, that was special too. I, I said I wanted the best, so there you go. There you go. So back to our our uh, prepper uh, mindset here. Uh, you know, we were talking about the the cookie sheet. So in my mind, any gun that you're able to, you know, go to your kitchen and fashion parts for, which I don't know any parts for the AR that you can do that with. Uh, I mean, that's that's got to be like a plus five in my post-apocalyptic prepping mindset. You know, I've got a when you when I give my class on AKs. You know, when the students are walking in. 
there's a there's one of the pictures that's there is an AK leaning up against the side of a um, a Humvee, and there's a shovel handle, the end of a shovel, you know, the T grip that's on shovels, is jammed into the back, and that's the stock. <laughs> and um, you know, and when the students come in, they you know, and I do that purposely when they come in, they're they're laughing and they're kind of pointing at it, and they sit down and. You know, and then I go go through the class and, you know, and about, you know, however many slides in, I'm like, yeah. So when we start talking about robustness and a means of, of being able to fix stuff, I was like, this guy fixed his AK with a shovel. Can you do that with your rifle? And if the answer is no, then, you know, then we need to start critically looking at, it's like, okay, well, is, is this the best thing? If we're talking, you know, like no spare parts, you know, grid down. Can I fashion something? You know, and we would see stuff overseas. I've got another picture um, that where somebody turned an AK, like an AK-47, into a bolt action. Um, that's a pretty interesting picture that they put it together. It's just, it's there's there's so many modifications that I've seen from from these things that from guys in the mountains of Pakistan. You know, basically, they're an anvil is a rock and bending these things into shape and putting them into service. You know, are they gonna are they gonna hold a minute of angle? You know, less than a minute of angle? No, they're not. I mean, are they gonna are they still gonna fail from time to time? Yeah, because they're using crap materials. But the point is, you can use crap materials and have loose tolerances, and and the design works in spite of that. Yeah, I mean, make it work good enough until you can get somewhere to to get something that works better. Fight your yeah. way, fight your way to something better. Uh, but yeah, you know, th- that's what I, you know. Th- in my mind. To be able to do that, that's like a huge plus for the, you know, the prepper mentality. I would think that would be, you know, something that, you know, would be key of first of their mind is like, all right, parts, you know, not going and finding another AR, you know, because that's what a lot of people's argument is, is like, well, there's so many AKs, I can go find one lying around. Well, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen any lying around here in America anywhere, you know, I haven't walked down the street and tripped over one or know anything like that maybe maybe in chicago you can do that but uh you know not here in tennessee but i mean i understand like you know they're around and if you have to go raid or you know whatever you can you know you can find them and you can get parts but to be able to use a shovel a cookie sheet you know parts from a car you know whatever to to patch or keep your gun running until you do find that scenario uh, i Mm. think i think that's huge and uh, Jeff, you know, let me ask you a question here. My my personal philosophy on prepping, um, you know, uh, there's no, well, I'll just say it briefly, I guess. Mao Zedong wrote, before he came to full power, wrote an insurgency manual. And in it, he talks about the difference between invaders and insurgents. The invaders have to truck all of their supplies in, and the insurgents just have to kill a few of the invaders, and then they get their supplies for free. And yes. that's a bit like how I personally have a my personal plan with prepping if things go really bad is that I don't need a hundred thousand rounds of AK ammo like let's say there's a depot by me or something or there's some pile of ammo not that I'm going to go out and invade it but there's going if I have to run across bad people that are trying to do harm to me I intend on putting them in the dirt and picking up what they have and so is that a sound idea to not be worried about fighting 10 years with one gun but in having a really robust gun with a, a, a reasonable amount of ammo and knowing that after a certain point, I'm going to be covered by whatever I pick up. 
Well, first, first and foremost, what we tell folks is don't get in gunfights. Avoid, 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 avoid. Because yeah. once the bullets start flying, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can be, you know, James Yeager, Chris Costa, any of the guy. But the bad guys do win from time to time. Weird stuff happens. Bullets ricochet. Who knows? So the first thing we tell people is don't get into gunfights. Don't get into fights. You're, you're just, you know, Jeremy Horn actually said that. I asked him one time. I was interviewing Jeremy Horn, the the uh, UFC legend, and uh, I was like, Jeremy, who's actually he's very accomplished uh, pistol guy. And um, I asked him, I said, Jeremy, give me five moves that everybody should learn. And he sat there and he kind of thought for a little bit and he was like, don't get in fights, buy a gun, learn how to use it, and don't get in fights. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. You know, and this is like one of the most competent man with his hands and feet, you know, that the world has ever seen. You know, he's definitely in the top 100 fighters. So, so with that point is like, where, where do you need to be? You know, there's an argument for ammo because it's great for barter, you know, barter and trade. Um, so you could use it for that. Um, the lo- the more supplies that you have, it's your house. You know, this was an interesting thing that we thought of, or we learned from uh, writing black autumn. And what that was um, is you have to have a community and vital to survival and actually went back and did a bunch of, uh, historical research on it and figured out what the size of most of the tribes were or many of the tribes that were surviving and not just surviving but thriving how big they were how big they weren't um and how important you know a reoccurring theme that we had in black autumn was like you know because there's a big you know there's a big battle at the end of black autumn and between criminals and the and the homestead and um you know they've got to go through several different communities suburbia to get up to the to get to the homestead with that was their, you know, was their mission that they were trying to attack. And from that, it was like, holy cow, first and foremost, you can't do all this stuff yourself. Second of all, you've got to build your community and your community starts with your family. And so if your wife or your kids are weak links, they're going to slow you down. And so, and that, and it's like this whole myth of the lone wolf's going to go and live in the mountains and be able to survive. It's just, it ain't going to happen. The mountain men didn't even do that. The mountain men would still go in and trade with the Indians and come back in for supplies and, and whatnot. And then keep in mind, there's a whole bunch of other people that are going to be up there looking for, you know, deer and other stuff up there too. And so, and that, and then it's building your community and building your neighborhood around you because now all of a sudden you start building that tribe and that, and that group of people that can come together for mutual work, mutual support, mutual defense um, and all of that. No one person can do it all, even a couple of people. And what we found was it looks like about uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 people, 150 seems to be kind of the sweet spot of you've got enough people that you can get work done, you can get um, it's defense done. If somebody gets sick, it's not going to take out all of the work reserves, you know, or somebody gets injured, they twist their ankle or something as mundane as that. And then um, but they, but it's not so many that you've got so, you know, so many mouths, you can't feed them. Right. And so, and, and that's if everybody's firing on full cylinders. So to, so more to your point, Brian is like, it's better that if you can, if you can, and that's where your, that's where your subject matter expertise is a little bit better to put that in there. And, but that's why we, that's also why we created the plan to survive, which is a interactive checklist where you can go through where we're like, Hey, 
it's a visual representation of where you may be in your emergency preparedness and it's highly customizable i mean if you live in idaho you don't care about you know hurricanes and so it doesn't it doesn't hit you with the hurricane section on there and if you're living on a budget we're not suggesting that you buy a 150 dollar holster you know for your you know for your pistol it will it's like hey maybe you should get the phobis and 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 just because you've got a hundred thousand rounds of ammo in your basement but you've never been to training guess what you're 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 a level five over here but you're a level nothing over here so you better start spending some money on that on there and so the plan to survive is kind of our crown jewel with with ready man to help people get um, get prepared, and we're actually in the process of uh, of rebuilding that entire thing right now too, and tying in videos and you know Amazon links, so you you don't have to buy it from us or other stuff. You can just go straight to Amazon and you know have it in two days and Prime, and continue to to build up your emergency preparedness. Is that a course right. that you offer also? Um, we haven't uh, offered the Plan to Survive course yet, but you know it's, that's a great idea, though, Marty. Was where we could go through. There's yeah. there's a lot. It's about seventeen hundred pieces of equipment and skills that you go through and you mark off. It's like a big interactive checklist. There's a way that you can communicate securely with people on there as well, so you can build your community, which is so important. But, um, you know, it's that just that visual representation. I know that when I started going through it, I, I definitely was like, oh, oh, OK. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. We need to make sure we do that. And we're continuing to expand it, too. So we're adding a few other categories based off of recent events that um, will expand plan to survive and, and um, um, get more information out to folks. You know what's interesting, looping back around to your community number there with I forget you said 100 to 200 or 150 being the sweet spot. I believe it's called the Dunbar number. And there's a biologist that was looking at the average troop or herd size or whatever it's called for primate. <laughs> and, uh, figured out different the, the different sizes of these stable communities. And I think the Dunbar number for humans is like 120 or something. And oh. The number of humans you can reasonably know and interact with, know by sight, know, you know, like where you can really actually know the person. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that your number crosses with that number. And I learned that firsthand try, when I first sort of got red-pilled. Um, I just sold part of a startup and had some extra cash. And so I kind of dropped out and started phone, uh, f farming and homesteading. And it, you go straight to mental illness if you try and do that alone. And, and if you, you are lucky, if you can grow enough food for yourself full time with your wife helping and, uh, or skilled or, you know, it, it's a big deal. And so very quickly you're forced to reach out and meet other homesteaders and farmers. And it's way better to do that before hard times hit. And so what you're saying rings very true for me. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, um, we went back, we looked at the average size of Afghan tribes. Arab tribes, Indian tribes, um, and and we and over and over again we kind of saw this common denominator. It's a it's also it's a governance thing. It, when you're the when you're the chief or the king or the emperor or whatever you know it is that that guy's calling the baron or the duke. It's a it's a small enough it's a big enough number that you've got you've got some power that you can wield to you know make sure that marauders aren't going to come after you. But it's not so big that you can't control it. And about the time you get bigger than that, that's when you'd see the tribes start to split off. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting. There's a group of um, 
they're sort of like the Amish. They're called the Hutterites. And then they're, there's a bunch of them in Alberta. I think they're in the U.S. some places as well. But they're a communal Amish-like thing where they all live in sort of, you know, dorms. And then when they get big enough, um, they draw straws effectively, and half of the half of the group gets kicked out to start another commune. Yeah, and it would be really interesting. interesting to know what, yeah, if it's if it what their number is for that for that oh. system because they're still yeah. relying on industrial act or you know they're still relying on civilization for those communes, but for governance and all the rest, um, another interesting little community there. You know, and if you've got, if you figure, if you've got about 100, we'll say 200, we keep the numbers, we keep the numbers easy. We've got 200 people, you know, how many of them can defend, can fight? Do you know what I mean? And so you could probably cut that number right in half because you've got kids, you've got sick people, you've got older people, you've got people that just flat out don't know what they're doing. So you could cut that number in half and then probably subtract, and you know, like another 20% or so, 20, we'll say 25% to keep the numbers pretty simple. So now all of a sudden you've got 75 people that can fight. Well, I can tell you having been in the war, if you're going against 75 guys, I don't care how big your force is. You have to have a massive force because in the U S military, the, you know, the, the, uh, the matrix is three to one. You don't get in fights with anybody. I mean, if you get ambushed, you don't have a choice, but you don't get into fights with anybody unless it's a three to one advantage when you're going in there. So now all of a sudden you start doing the math on that. They've got to come up with about 300 Muldoons to come in and try and effectively overrun you, which is now all of a sudden, now they're running into the same problems that you would have been in supplies, mouse to feed governance, overuse of the resources of the immediate area that's in there, which may be why they're, you know, marauding in the first place, but you've just made life really difficult. And then you can add to that too that's a three to one in a standard fight. Then if you have defenses that have been put into place, like they're attacking a structure or something, now the numbers go through the roof and it's and it's extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So it's the, the no, one time ahead, when the uh, the defender is an advantage. You know, normally our mindset is as as armed citizens is that our gunfight will start with us bleeding and dizzy. You know, we've been attacked first. And uh, so you're not really, and we're good people, so we don't presume that bad people are about to hurt us and shoot them first. But if you're dug in in a spot, again, they, the enemy does get to pick when they attack. However, this this is an advantage of being a defender that I haven't heard of or thought of before. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you look at if you look at medieval Europe as probably as a good example, or even some of the Roman um, some of the Roman castles, when they would lay siege to castles, sieges would last one, two, five years. I mean, the Troy, the siege of Troy, what was that, 10 years that they laid siege to that to that city, the best they count? Well, the idea is you only, you know, replacing men, you know, or fighters, men, women, whoever, whatever you've got, replacing them is very difficult. You can't just, you know, all of a sudden breed and you've got somebody else who can fight. It's a tremendous a resource drain to try and train somebody and get them up to where they're at. So you want to preserve life as much as possible on your side. And so it's like sieging a castle. I can think of no other way of like, you know, that's more suicidal than charging the front gate. That's, you know, they're getting ready to pour boiling oil on you and dropping rocks and shooting arrows at you. Now we have guns. So it's even more uh, lethal in in that place and so yeah the defender and that's and that's actually is a section that we're getting ready to add 
on the plan to survive is home fortification and what that means, physical fortification as well as cyber fortification, as well as vehicular fortification and, and what we can do to help keep ourselves and our families uh, safe. So I wanted to uh, ask you about this. So, um, you know, you're talking about having this community and having, you know, the stockpile. But if you're in a situation like I was during the 4th where we traveled out of state, you know, to go visit some friends um, and all your stuff's, you know, your main stuff's 600 miles away, you know, what what kind of mindset do you need to be for for something like that? Anyway. So that's that's a great question. And um, so I just I was in my gun safe the other day and, and I had a buddy that was I was showing I was actually I was showing him Brian's AK and um, and he looked in there and I've got, you know, I've got like 10 Glocks in there or something. And he's like, why do you have so many Glock pistols? And he's like, you can only shoot one of those at a time. And I was like, you're right. But if something goes bad. I've got 10 neighbors that probably don't have anything that I can arm. So now all of a sudden I've got a 10 times force multiplier on my side because I spent the time to, you know, to add, have a couple of extra pistols so that we could defend our community and our families that were on there. So bringing that full circle to what you were asking Marty is when, when I prepare first and foremost, you prepare for you and your family, but then you also, what we tell folks is, you need to start preparing for your community too, because when the when the kids come to your door and knock on it and they haven't eaten, and they're the same kids that were playing with your family, I don't know I, I don't know if somebody's got the you know the hardcore enough and it's easy to say yeah I'd turn those kids away, well it's like well would you and is that really the type of person that you want to be one and is that really the type of person that you want to associate with, two. And so, and that's where it's like, you know, you can't feed everybody in your neighborhood. I I mean, I get that. But once you've prepared for you and your family, then it's like, okay, what's next? Okay, well, Bob, Bob's over here. So I could probably need to add a little bit more over there because Bob's a ham radio guy and he has a ham radio and I don't have a ham radio. So that could become very important in the future. And so now it's a skill inventories of where you go through and you're helping each other out. Yeah, so something you want to build uh, prior to is your community. You want to you want to start putting people on a list for your community prior to, mm-hmm. you know, the need to to build one hindsight. And and a big part of this is where you are geographically and culturally. Like when I tried to do this in California, I, it started to get very sketchy from a oh I'll call it our own safety just because of I was worried about getting the cops called on me and getting red, red flagged, flagged. <laughs> because <laughs> I was the crazy prepper yeah. to contrast that when I got to Idaho we had uh I don't know 20,000 rounds delivered to my house or something and it was for work but like I wouldn't be ashamed of owning that much ammo at my house and uh the next door neighbor lady who's this you know middle-aged overweight soccer mom was visiting my wife when the ammo showed up in the middle of the day and my wife was all ready to backpedal and say, Oh, it's for work and everything. And the lady looked right at her and said, what's all that? And my wife said ammo for my husband's work. And she's like, boy, we only have like one box of ammo in our house. We should really get something more (laughs) like this. (laughs) And so when you're in the right community, you can have open discussions with people about, Hey, I really want to take care of you you know, if things get hard, but I'm not going to have enough food to feed the whole community. You might want to think about getting 50 pounds of rice and beans, and then I can help you out a little bit. And, you know, we can all eat. 
having those conversations with like-minded liberty focused people is a really much easier conversation. I'm sure Jeff in, in Utah, you know, with Mormonism that's and Mormons, oh man, we have great Mormon friends here and we're not Mormon and they don't care. And they all have a, a, a religious dictate to keep a year of food. And so being in heavier Mormon areas, you drop right in. It's a prepper culture already. So um, just a little word, if you're if you're in California and you're getting weird looks from your neighbors, you know, probably, you know, it took me a couple of years to plan my exit from California. There's a great book by Joel Skousen on um, strategic relocation. And so there's a whole map of the country and there's a lot of good places and a whole bunch of bad places. And uh, a lot of the good places are cheap to live. So starting, it might take you a couple of years to get to Liberty, but it's, it's worth walking the path. You know, the, the world kind of changed here about six months ago, though. Oh, uh, you're right. I'm totally wrong. Every, you know, nine months ago, it was like, it was like, hey, are you one of them crazy people with tinfoil hat? And it's like, no, I don't believe in government conspiracies or any of that. I'm just, I'm looking at the probabilities of threat. I just want to be prepared in case something bad happens mm-hmm. with food finances and whatnot and it was like okay well you're kind of okay well then covid hit and everybody was like holy cow this really can happen and like i just saw this month's the front cover of the economist has got a family on there you know they're wearing they're wearing gas masks but it was essentially it was like how you can you can help prepare your family in case of a uh, calamity mm-hmm. and so it was like it was like all of a sudden we became the cool kids in school, you know. It was like, <laughs> but how many is, times, you know, in the past 10, I'll just say 10, 20 years, has something big hit, whether it's a natural disaster, you know, the, the, the swine flu, you know, whatever right? it may be. This one is actually the government took action in, in the world, actually, in, in measures that we've never seen before. Yeah, but and that's, but it's all signs have been there, and you know, it, people should have been prepping prior to this because there's there's been proof in the pudding prior to the COVID. It's just COVID so, is the big one that the biggest one that's hit so far. So when we wrote Black Autumn, we we went off the premise of a black swan event. We don't think it's going to be like, you know, space aliens are going to come down and it's going to be War of the Worlds. We don't think like the Russians are going to. I got know, a theory on that. When you finish, go ahead. <laughs> we we figured, we were like no it'll be a black swan event there'll be a series of events that tie together in a weird way that drag you know drag society down and so um and, and if you look throughout history that's very much a consistent theme like the the fall of the bronze age best guess is it was a black swan event that took place there were a couple of droughts that took over a couple of wars that took over um, and then all of a sudden you had mass migration of people looking for resources, then mass warfare, and the Bronze Age fell apart. You could say the same thing about the Civil War. It was somewhat of a black swan event where things were tying together in weird ways. The Great Depression was a black swan event. World War One was a black swan event. You could argue in some ways World War Two was a black swan event. Um, that's You'd have to stretch that a little bit. But even the even the financial collapse of two thousand and eight was a was a was a black swan event, and so that's where you're absolutely right, Marty. Where it's like, you know, every year massive hurricanes hit the East Coast. Tornadoes. Every, tornadoes hit every single year. You know, wildfires in California every single year, and it's like yep. if you yep. guys aren't preparing for that and you're relying on the government to come in and save you. 
man, you're living in a pipe dream because it's just, if it gets bad enough, like what we've seen, it gets bad enough and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It just has to be handled badly. And yeah. that's the, and it and typically is, difference. it's handled badly by the government. And it, and it typically is the government isn't good at anything other than spending taxpayer dollars Absolutely. outside of that. They, they pretty much suck. And so that's Katrina where Katrina like, was a, a great example of that too. Katrina is a great example. I mean, even COVID is a great example. Look at the way that some of these, you know, governors and mayors have handled this newfound power that they had. And overwhelmingly it's like, Man, there's there's some that you know rose up to the occasion and did a good job, but there's a whole bunch that just did a horrible job for their citizens, and so there's a bunch of people that are upset about that and probably won't get elected next time around. But all of a sudden, it's like, how many times has something bad got to happen before people wake up and go, "Man, you know what? Maybe maybe I should buy that fifty pound bag of rice and some flour and some cooking and oil and a gun and some ammo." Get a gun and get some ammo. Gun sales get, through the roof right now. Uh, like you said, you know, California at one point, uh, you know, red flag. I'm going to call cops because you got a gun. But how many of them have gone out and tried to buy guns during this time? Yeah. yeah. Historic highs. You know, yeah. uh, one important thing that, that Jeff is, um, is, is describing, but I want to really bang every last nail into the coffin on, is that, Oftentimes, really calamitous things, it's not one thing that does you in. Mm-mm. It's that we get a stressor like COVID, and then we get civil unrest. And then my personal concern is that this is the perfect time for a cyber attack from somebody that doesn't like us. Mm-hmm. So it, just like the four firearm safety rules, most of the time you can get away breaking one. Not all the time, yeah. but most of the time you can get get by breaking one but when you break two usually somebody gets shot absolutely it's that thing of two black swans coming in the wrong way and or three here in tennessee we had we had a slew of tornadoes hit us before covid tennessee you know this middle tennessee here we got just decimated with tornadoes and you know we were in the midst of trying to recover from that and then the covid hit and just you know shut everything down and all those families and businesses that were shut down because of the tornadoes couldn't do anything because of the COVID. And then we get hit with the civil unrest that's going on now, you know, on top of that. Uh, and then, we, you know, now you got the election season coming up and, you know, everybody's kind of tying it with the election season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's usually not one thing. It's a string of things. And if two things, three things happen, then, I mean, you're looking at total collapse. Yep. Yeah. And I, at the risk of being uh, introducing a discontinuity here, we've had quietly and patiently waiting my super engineer, Austin Mayo, <laughs> who's also a, a great shooter and prepper and fan of Jeff's, and he's got a question here. It'll be great. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and we'll start off with Austin and let's get into our, our listener questions. Uh, and Austin, you'd be a great one to kick it off with, buddy. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Jeff, I was wondering, with this time and everything going on and with this community building, what is your what are you looking at for bringing people in are you taking them to the range first are you just talking food and supplies with them with with building your community what are you trying to do to get them in and get that conversation started you you know the best way to bring people in is the old-fashioned barbecue you know at least in my experience and then you ease in we we tell folks we're like don't even talk about guns 
because you may freak some people out, you know, mm-hmm. let them bring it up. I mean, inevitably it will come up. I mean, you don't have to really worry about that. And, um, but you start with that old fashioned barbecue where it's like, you know, get hold of your neighbors and it's like, Hey, we're, we're having a barbecue and you guys are invited, come over and have some burgers and let's get to know each other. And it starts there. You know, when you're, when you're putting stuff like this together, the first thing that you do is you, is you build on common ground between people, then you, then that establishes that you can build those relationships of trust. And then all of a sudden you've got, you've got a relationship that you can move forward and start doing activities with. And, and I would tell you too, it's a much more pleasant way to live life. You know, we as human beings, we have to have community, you know, and we find that in different ways, you know, the internet has, has somewhat replaced that, but in some ways, but in a, too detrimental, I think, but now all of a sudden it's like human to human contact is, is so vitally important. That's why we got to the top of the food chain and it all starts, you know, barbecues and beers and then getting around and then just talking about like, you know, Hey, if something happened or, you know, do you guys, you know, what would you guys need if something happened like this? Is there any way that we could help you? And, and then part B to my answer is I approach it with a, with a service minded attitude where if you, if you're telling people, Hey, we'd be more than happy to help you guys out if something happens then, and let me know what you can do because we've got tools and I've got skills and I know how to fix stuff. And, and, um, all of a sudden you've, you're, you're just building those relationships of trust that in a bad situation are, are essential. It's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. But you don't do it under the guise of, I'm trying to build my community. You just, trying to get to know your neighbors and see who's a fit, who's not a fit, right? Right. I mean, you're not dropping see, that. Yep. Uh, I'm building who, my community see, thing. See who's a fit. And you want to do that first to begin with anyways. You know, if like, if, if I'm like King cheese prepper, but I'm, I mean, forgive my French, but if I'm an asshole, then nobody's going to want to link up with me. That's not a good, that's not a good mix for a small community that's in there. And so you've got to you've got to get that you've got to get that chemistry between folks that are in there or find the person that can then get in and say, I can handle Jeff. I know he's I know he's a grouch, but I'll I'll take care of him. It's like, okay, then we've got now we've built that community where we're where we're mitigating some of the issues that could come up that was on there. But, yeah, it all starts with just simple, you know, saying hello to your neighbors. You know, it's interesting. I have a bike trail in, in behind my house. And it's and it used to be, um, you know, nine months ago when I'd go running down the bike trail, nobody would even look at me, you know. And and it's like, you know, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a big, scary looking dude, I guess. And you know, and people would kind of look the other way. And bald hair and the goatee, bald head, bald head and goatee. <laughs> but you know, it's funny now. It's not like that. I mean, people are they're looking and they're like, hey, hey. And I make it a point. I say hello to every single person. And I'm and I'm a I'm an introvert. I'm not a very go out and meet people kind of person. But I make it a point. I say hello, good morning to every single person that I pass on that bike trail, because it's building community. And man, it's just a heck of a lot better way of living life. You know, uh, I'm watching mental health really degrade in my community. Folks, especially older folks that are stuck inside, are going nonlinear at a much lower level of aggravation. Like we had a, one of my neighbors here, his dog bit my dog at the shop and it turned into this enormous thing because the guy hadn't been able to talk to anybody in a month. Yeah. And, and so what you're doing there, Jeff, I think really has a mental health impact for every, 
single person you say hi to. And I think that holds for every one of us that does it too. So it's a it's a real service, I think, to folks that aren't getting to getting much human contact who are living alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. We did a show a couple episodes back. Uh, we had uh, Walk the Talk America, and we had um, Sheepdog Impact Assistance on, and they were with things that are going on now. I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about, how it's affecting people's, uh, their psyche and just overall mental health. So that's a great point on how that could help overcome that too. You know, I, th- I think as, well, I, I mean, as human beings, right, so we've got endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, cortisol that – you know, kind of the main hormones that flow through our body that keep us balanced. And and um, and if those get out of sync, I like to say like the three pillars of preparedness is psychological, emotional and um, and uh, psychological, emotional and physical, you know, and then they've got pillars underneath them as well. So on the physical side, you know, the foundation to any preparedness plan is physicality. So you've got to have some physical fitness, but then that also ties in with sanitation and nutrition as well. You can't, you can't be like some gym rat that's stinky, nasty, fungal growing and, and expect to be, you know, expect to be, uh, uh, healthy. And then you've got the psychological side, the endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, whatnot that I t- talked about and the balance that's in there. And the, you know, in psychology, they call it the trifecta of happiness that is a uh, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin all together. And the number one way that you can achieve those three hormones coursing through your body is through service to somebody else. So it's one of we're ingrained, it's in our DNA to have community. And then the emotional side is vitally important, Brian. He had, that guy hadn't talked to anybody. If you think about it, in the past, you know, and we we kind of figured all this out from writing Black Autumn. In the past, there was no therapist or psychologist or anything. You had a priest, a priest, pastor, confessor, and you would go and confess, you know, confess your sins so that you could lift the weight of the world off of your shoulders. Well, that's a very true thing when you go in and you can vent with your buddy or your wife or, you know, whoever that is. Even writing, I found this on the first book that I wrote, writing was unbelievably cathartic for me to decompress after coming back off of assaults in Afghanistan. And so with that, you know, keeping diaries, I mean, you see this overcurring theme that we've seen throughout the history of man. And and so I think with people being cooped up in COVID and now people that are walking around with masks, so now all of a sudden we're losing a level of interpersonality that mm-hmm. comes in as well as 70% of communication, up to 70% of communication is nonverbal. So now we're losing some of the facial expressions that uh, we'd normally have that we can tell off of people. But But I am seeing a change, at least in my little community, where people are, it's it's almost like they're opening up because they've been cooped up. You know, if you're lucky enough that you've got kids or you've got family with you, we're, I, I've actually, at least in my community, I can't speak for the whole country, but I, it's like people are closer to their families now. I've spent more time with my kids in the last six months than I have in the last, you know, forever because we're all, we're all working from the house, you know, and, and we're seeing them and it's actually, it's led to, it's led to some some great experiences with my family that that uh, otherwise we we may have missed. All right, so that was a great question by by Austin there, and uh, we're going to go to Instagram now. We're going to take some of the questions here, and I saw this one. I thought this was a good question for you, Jeff. Uh, this is from Thomas Childers One. It says, "What survival tool would Jeff say is critical 
but maybe the rest of us don't even know its importance very well. Maybe somewhat of a surprise. And Brian, I want you to answer that too. You, you know, I think that the the number one survival tool, and this is going to kind of sound cliche a little bit, is what you've got between your ears. Knowledge. You know, continue. I, I influence people. It's like thirst for knowledge, thirst for skills. You know, get a new hobby, learn a new skill, get your butt off the, you know, my hashtag is get your butt off the couch and learn something new. And if you think you've already learned something new, how many people have you taught that to that's in your community to build your community? So I think the number one thing that probably isn't obvious, I mean, it's not a cool piece of gear or an AKA or anything like that. It's just what's between your ears. I'll agree with that. But if you were going to go with a piece of kit, what would you say? If I was going to go with a piece of kit, mm-hmm. probably, and this will probably throw you for a loop, it'd be a good pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. You're using your head right there. Yeah. Your your biggest limiting factor, if you've got to move and you've got to work, guess what? If your dogs, your feet, if your dogs are torn up and blistered and sore, you, you ain't going to make it. You're finished. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. What about so, you, Brian? So I had to think, think quick and come up with, uh, uh, with something – more uh more high-minded than a than a piece of gear there with jeff's answer there i would say faith and um i grew up very much without god and um became convinced of the necessity of god over time letting alone whether god exists this is not a question of god's existence this is the necessity of god with monkey brains like ours and for those that are that are uh secular i would very much recommend 12 rules for life by jordan peterson um, that is such a big deal for approaching Judeo-Christianity and the hero's journey and um, this idea that, you know, we all have a cross to bear and some are bigger than others. Um, but here's the prototype or archetypical superhuman Jesus to show you how to shoulder that bear, that, that burden with, um, pardon me. That's Jesus with, calling now. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's, 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 he, well, that, that might have been Buddha saying, hey, hey, MFR. But, uh, <laughs> what you know, about like, me? Just, again, regardless of the divinity of Christ, uh, here's Superman to show you how to shoulder this burden that we all have with honor and grace. And so I would encourage folks, regard again, I'm, I hope I'm not hammering it too hard, but you atheists out there, I'm not trying to get you to, I'm not trying to save you, but I think the this that hero's journey is a big deal. And uh, for for Kit, I would say uh, the life straw. Um, mm, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. That that thing. If and that's that's if things really go bad. Um, I think most people need two two weeks of food in their pantry and two weeks of water. Um, but the the thing that you wouldn't ordinarily think of that life straw is a really cool product. Yeah, uh, and then I would add to that, uh, and this isn't out of the ordinary. I mean, this is your you know, basic stuff, but you need a, a good med supply, bandages, antiseptic, that kind of stuff. Cause, mm-hmm. cause yeah. again, you if your dogs sure. ain't working, you got to get them back healthy. You got to make sure you have those antis. So we uh, put that as part of our, you know, part of your little kit that you put together, your anti, you know, your anti-diarrheals, your anti-inflammatories, you know, your antiseptics, your antibiotics, you know, and, and it wasn't that long ago in, um, you know, the Civil War, 
more men died from dysentery than died from bullets. And so dysentery used to wipe people out. And all of a sudden, if we're talking a really bad situation, that would happen again. Yeah, that I, I, I'm going to change my answer to what Jeff said there. Antidiarrheals are so inexpensive and can save so many lives that uh, that's that's one of the ones that I hoard or don't hoard, but I keep way more of it than my family could ever use because you can get it at Walmart and it's just as good. You get it on bulk and then you could save a whole bunch of kids if the water supply gets corrupted. In certain areas, cholera can be a real thing. That's more like Florida than up here, but mm -hmm. it is a thing. Yeah. All right, next question. Uh, this comes from Dickie Third. says, Mr. Kirkham, how do you set up your armor belt, rig, et cetera, to best run the AK? You know, a lot of that depends. That's a great question. And a lot of it, you know, I, I had my setup. Well, let me let me let me answer it this way. That's a great question. And, and you know, and obviously it's situationally dependent, right, mm -hmm. on what you're. But I will say this. When, when the war kicked off, we, you know, we looked like we carried tons of kit on us. And as the war progressed, we got we got lighter and thinner and lighter and thinner and lighter and thinner until you know, everything that I had that was available to me was for pure assault purposes. And then I had a very small back backpack that the rest of the stuff would go into. And if and if it wouldn't fit in that backpack, then it wasn't coming with me. We didn't carry food. You know, we carry little gel packs maybe because you're not going to you can live without food. Water was a was another thing, but um, you could live without food. And so Setting up the kit, I, I streamlined mine down to where it was just a flat chest rack with mags, you know, and then I had grenades and stuff like that that were on the side. But so the overall premise would be stay as streamlined as possible because you never know what activities you're going to have to do. You may, you, you know, you're going to have to work at some point or you may have to run or you may have to climb over a fence or, you know, or just walking around in itself mm -hmm. so stay streamlined and and what works for me doesn't isn't necessarily going to work for somebody else based off of body type and size and strength and all of that other stuff but but i would say is like if you're going to run a system and you figure out what that is and i have yet to find somebody find the you know the perfect one everybody ends up with kind of a hybrid of this that and the other that works for them and based off of their budget as well as what they've got available and what they like Right. Um, then once you do that, take it out and test it, run it. I mean, practice and train with it. And, uh, to add to that tandem dually, uh, what is the best, best method for carrying your mags bullet rear with beer can grip, or is there a better method? Also, what are the go-to mag holders, your go-to? That's, that's a great question. So like if, if there's a way of reloading the AK and grabbing that magazine, I, I tested it in, and, um, over the course of years and, and the best that I found that worked for me was that beer can grip. I did a modified index, you know, traditional indexing, you use your index finger and you point it into the magazine. Well, you can do that with an AK magazine, but it's a little bit more difficult. So I was doing a hybrid of bullets I'm right-handed so bullets would face towards my right instead of my left and then I would index but I'd use my thumb as the pointer finger for just one more That's thing what that I, I use and just beer can that thing in and so but yeah I think that I think that's what he means when you say the beer can grip with your thumb running up the spine yeah. to uh to put it in I found that worked the best for me 
especially when you start talking about you're going to do tactical mag reloads and stuff like that. Very good. And we know we know what uh, Brian's favorite mag holders are, airsoft. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm ball, baller on a budget, man. Um, yes, Sonny Pazikas has an interesting take on that when he's teaching beginners. I'd be interested in your thoughts on it, Jeff, not to cause controversy, but what he teaches is to grab the beer can and then hit the uh, floor plate against your hip so that your grip slides down to the bottom of the mag with your pinky under on the floor plate. And what that does is it sets the, the distance, the exact, your hand is in precisely the same distance from the top of the magazine every time. Now it's extra steps. Um, so I'm not saying it's a high speed, you know, low drag kind of technique, but for beginners, does that seem re reasonable to you or, uh, do you just grab it wherever and go for it? You know, Sonny has trained a whole bunch of people. I, 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 I'm not familiar with that technique, but he's trained a ton of people. And so if that's working for him and he's having success, I mean, that's the thing is being an instructor. You, you have to teach what works with your students, because if it's not working with your students, they think you're a crap instructor. And so, you know, and that's where I go. It probably is a, is a decent technique for, for training people like that. That's not the way that I do it. But you know, tomato, tomato, just because the way Jeff does it this way doesn't mean it's the best way in the world. I have my reasons uh, based off of my testing, but I'm sure that's probably is a, is a good technique. All right, let's go to, oh, <laughs> I'm not asking that one. I'll ask this one last just for, because it's stupid. Uh, are there any good <laughs> iron sight upgrades for the AK? Yes. Mustang Perry. Yes, there are. If you go to if you go to um, if you buy an Occam rail system, all of those flip down iron sights that are available that are, you know, there's there's tons of great stuff that are out there. And Brian's rifle makes it possible so you can use them all on an AK. It is a tremendous advantage. Yeah, and Brian, you've got a, a new set out. Talk about those. Yeah. Yeah. We were having a hard time getting sites that were exactly how we wanted them. So we built our own. I think Jeff has a set on his second pistol. He's running CZs on his first. And um, they're very similar, just our take on it, Made in America, and we could get them. Um, four apertures in the rear. It's a. It's more like an AR-style sight as opposed to a notch and post. It's a ghost ring. And it goes from a big, wide ghost ring, close-in stuff, to a really tiny one that's great for accuracy. Um, for those folks that do not have my rail, Excess sights, um, X-ray Sierra sights, makes a front sight post with a tritium vial in it so that you can at least get, you know, if it's dark out, um, you've got something there. And, uh, of course, you should have a light on your gun so that you can correctly identify a target. So not enough to have a, a lighted front post. You need to know what you're shooting at, but I really like that one. Very good. All right, so Pierce uh, really wants me to ask this question. Pierce Taylor, he uh, IG'd it, he Facebooked it, he even emailed it to me. So he really apparently wants me to ask this. So it's three parts. What is the effective range of an AK? What is the optimal magnification to maximize the capabilities of the AK? Is taxation theft? <laughs> <laughs> My man. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one, Brian. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so... So I'll answer the first one based off of historical um, hi history. So when the sure. AK was developed, 
the the Russians did a study and they figured out that the majority of infantry engagements were happening within 300 meters. And then and this was coming from hardcore guys that thought a battle rifle that wouldn't wasn't accurate out to a thousand meters was garbage. And then they did a study and it was like, yeah, that's great. But the vast majority of the engagements are happening at 300 meters and in. And the vast majority of those engagements were happening within 100 meters of each other. So it kind of changed the way that that guys, uh, well, militaries started looking at rifles. So what's the optimum? What's the optimum range for the AK? For, you know, for accuracy. Well, the way that the Soviets put that rifle together, and this goes back towards the ergonomics, on the average size man standing in an average shooter stance, when he puts that rifle onto his shoulder, and if he happens to be looking over the sights, not at his sights then the rifle will impact the ground at 100 meters. So if he squeezes the trigger, so we're talking a moderately trained individual that's shooting under stress. Under stress, we tend to look over our sights and not through the sights. And and that average shooter, on average, the bullet, when he squeezes the trigger, the bullet will impact at 100 meters. There's genius in that because now he has hit from zero all the way out to 100 meters effectively as long as his windage is good left and right he's hitting effectively out to 100 meters that's why also why the soviets when you're zeroing at 100 meters the ak is designed to be zeroed at 100 meters you aim at the belt line well the impact of the round is 23 centimeters above the point of aim because it's still on the rise and then it starts dropping off but if you consistently look at aim at the belt line what they teach in their doctrine See, they don't teach to stack bullets. They teach just aim at the guy's belt line and you'll hit him. They just want to put lead in bodies. Mm -hmm. But then if you aim at that belt line, you've zeroed on 100 meters, you're good to 350 meters for engagements. So now what they did was they took that, okay, 300 meters and in, they engineered the rifle so that under stress it's impacting at 100 meters, and they came up with a design for training people, just aim here and you're going to be pretty good most of the time. Genius. Truly. Yeah. yeah. Anything to add to that, Brian? No, I, I, when my client, you know, I have video of us hitting and we were doing it yesterday just for fun. Steel out of 500 meters. We were using the ACSS and, uh, yeah, getting work done with it out of five. Um, but, uh, I tell people at zero to 300 and, uh, if you have to shoot anybody over 200, I really hope you've got a belt fed and a bolt gun cause the zombies are marching and it's on. <laughs> and so, you know, the vast majority of us, if we ever have to use our, our rifles in defense, it's my suspicion that it's going to be 50 yards and in. Mm -hmm. And so what I also tell people is that I don't care where they zero. I care that they know what their dope is. And so to, to shoot at 20, you know, 5, 25, 50, 100, 200, 300, mm -hmm. because every gun is different. You can't rely on BDC. We learned this with our rifles. Um with Defiant Munitions, they were designing their load for our guns. And uh, Pete was like, hey, why is your uh, velocity coming out of your guns 50 feet per second faster than everybody else, at least? And I said, I didn't know. And then I thought carefully about it. And we spend a lot of time getting our headspace just right. And it's very tight. It's, it's, it's legal. It's still to spec, but it, we push it as close as we can so that you get the maximum life out of your gun. And the unintended consequence of that is that the seating of the neck of the casing is much tighter. It's a much tighter seal. 
And so you get more velocity because you're keeping more of the powder burning behind the bullet and not leaking out of the receiver. The consequence of that extra 50 feet per second gets very real out at farther ranges. Mm-hmm. And so your gun is different. Your gun does not have the headspace, the same exact headspace as the one that came off the line before and after it. So that whole idea of the, you know, the zero story of what Travis Haley teaches with walking his students back, every single target's different. And so you just really got to know where your bullets are going. Very good. And on the head spacing question, Ed Burton says, how often should head spacing be checked and what tools do you suggest? Uh, Jeff, do you have input on that one or do you want me to take that one? You you take that one. That's your real house. All right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I don't, yeah, there's a lot of uh, discussion about headspace and that if a gun closes on a no-go gauge, it's a bomb. Um, that's simply not true. If that were true, headspace gauges would stop there, but they don't. When you close on a no-go gauge, you're only halfway through the life of the gun. Um, a field gauge is the bomb detector. And so uh, they're, they're not cheap. They're 40 or 50 bucks. But if you have a gun that you're a little suspicious of, getting a no-go and a field gauge. I mean, also there are, I have come across guns through our shop that we didn't make that won't close on a go gauge. And that's super dangerous because you, if you get a a bullet that, or a round rather, that um, wasn't made quite right, the gun might not go completely into battery when you fire. And so you're using a very small surface area of the bolt. You know, the bolt isn't completely locked up and you can get bad things happening. So uh, for most well-made guns, um, a field gauge should really be all you need, but if you want to chart the age of the gun, a no-go also helps. Um, Why didn't y'all tell me my camera wasn't on? I just now noticed my camera wasn't on. I've been sitting here doing hand gestures and making faces. And (laughs) and, uh, I got to, because of all the, the misinformation out there, I got together with a couple other people in the AK industry and we wrote a paper on how field or uh, head spacing should properly be measured. And it's at uh, vsomedia.org. And um, it was John Holton, um, Kurt Alstrom from VSO, and uh, Robert Forbes, who's kind of a, a sage of the AK industry and makes a lot of the tooling for pro builders and home builders alike. Very good. All right, a couple more questions, and then uh, we got a giveaway to do. Heck yeah. Uh, Navy Vet Patriot asks, are U.S. AKs less desirable than ones from other countries? I have an AK bill kit, and someone told me it's a U.S. kit, so it's not worth even building. So I don't think, because he won that kit from us, and it's a Polish build kit. I thought it came from Pioneer Arms. Yeah, that's right. Those are made in Poland. Yeah, Um, we are uh, with. Yeah, we are extremely choosy about what parts we build on. I will say that the um, the quality is mixed on uh, on what's available right now. Some of it is jewelry and some of it is hot garbage. Mm -hmm. And um, that and the stuff that's being made today in Europe, some of it is fantastic and some of it is garbage. And um, um, what I what I can say is that we build on WBP kits, and with few except the the critical parts, the bolt, the bolt carrier, and the trunnion. Those are act that, that's the holy trinity. Like those are the parts that will really give you a bad day if they're not working right. 
Um, those three parts by WVP are amazing. And so if somebody has a kit that they're suspicious of, they can literally buy those three components from Arms of America. And as long as it's a uh, European spec AK that is not half a Norinco parts kit or something, um, they're going to be just fine. And even if it is a Norinco, like a lot of the, those parts are interchangeable, not all of them. So uh, he's he's the guy that we got to help get him built, Brian. Roger that. We uh, kind of put him on the back burner there, so we got to get back on. <laughs> Uh, all right, one, where'd it go? There's one more good one here, and then uh, we're going to do the giveaway. And I didn't read everybody's question, but you're still all eligible. So everybody who submitted a question is uh, eligible to win our giveaway, and Brian's going to tell you about what we're giving away here. Um, Where'd it go? We did Ed Burton. He had a couple of questions. So uh, Chris Zuck, what are the pros and cons of running an AK Bolt over versus under on a reload and i know we've talked about this on the show last time uh, jeff was on here and uh, we had two different uh, i mean they were both great answers and reasoning on why they do it uh, but um, go guys what's your what's your preference so what's what's the question now uh on uh charging bolt you know over or under reload oh 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 oh, oh. gotcha um, you, you know, for me, the, you know, the world, according to Jeff, right. And we'd all be happy if we listen to me, but, <laughs> um, I roll, so I, I roll the rifle over. So the, the, um, and we spoke about this before about the second fastest motion your body can make is turning your wrist. It's very fast. It's very sure you, you see fencers and, and swordsmen would do that from time to time. So anyways, when, when I reload, I, I reload as if I, I did my stuff based off of, you know, combat stuff. So is this the fastest way? I mean, I can, I can reload pl plenty fast, but it, you know, but it's not, you know, there's probably somebody else out there with something that's a little bit faster, but bear with me here a second, because I I'll elevate, rotate, strip the mag, dump the mag, load in the new mag, roll the rifle over and hit the charging handle. The reason that we do it that way, or at least the reason that we did it that way, was because you, you, we want 100%. So Rolling it over where the charging handle's up top. Rolling it over so the charging handle's up top, because we were putting lights and lasers and stuff like that on our on our AKs, and um, you know there was a chance that it could you could grab like a knob off of a name point or something like that. I've seen that happen as well as you could just flat out miss it in the dark under stress. Seen that happen before. Um, going underneath, your hand has to travel a much greater distance. And if you just roll it, it actually, after you've loaded the magazine and then you roll the rifle, your hand is right there next to the charging handle, and, and you can bring that thing back on. So I just found it it's a much sure way. And then with the added advantages, I can do it standing, I can do it squatting, I can do it kneeling, and I can do it in the prone all that same way. And so I'm doing, I'm a big believer in do one thing for as many things as possible, the same technique over and over again. I reload my pistol, my rifle, and my shotgun all the same way. They're all very, very, very similar on how I do that. And then the, the nuances, obviously, with the AK is the charging. And so that's, for me, that's uh, I roll it over, and I'm not a big fan of charging handles on the left hand side, um, because again, in a combat rifle, if you're on the range, hey, that's great, and you know you're going against the buzzer or stuff. 
but I saw saw a guy, you know, fell on the ground. We were fast roping. He was left-handed, so the charging handle was towards his body, and he didn't get a good purchase on the fast rope. He fell about 50 feet, shoved that charging handle into his rib. Rib went through his lung, and um, all of a sudden, like, we had a medevac. I saw another guy lose his front teeth. We were doing immediate action drills, and he jumped down, got too choked up on his rifle, um, he was a left-handed shooter, and that thing came back and smacked him in the teeth, knocked his front teeth out. So it was one of those things where it's like, um, the guys who put this thing together and designed it, they they probably had thought of all that. And so I always left the charging handle on the on the right side and didn't mess with it. Point. Brian, you got a philosophy on that? You know, I go underneath, but only because I've been doing it for so many years. But the first time I saw Jeff and his rap, I was like, oh, shit, he's right. So no, I I think what Jeff just said is is absolutely perfect, and uh, I also agree. There's more than one way to skin the cat, yeah. but getting like charging a rifle when you're in prone and you're actually trying to get cover and keep your head down, especially when you're a big dude like me, going underneath is not cool. And um, so I think that what Jeff says there is quite wise. Yeah, very good. And it, you can go back to our episode. Uh, Season one, episode eleven, two ninety nine, and then Vincent gives a good argument on under why to do it under. But uh, oh, and I think sorry to cut in on you, but I think if you scroll far enough back in our Instagram or on YouTube, I have Jeff do his reloading wrap, and so there's a visual, uh, either a visual, mm-hmm. a, a visual display of what Jeff's talking about, either on our YouTube channel or Instagram or both. I forget. Well, exactly. Jeff's got one. I know. I've seen it. Uh, you've got a video out on your YouTube, right, Jeff? We do, yeah. If you go to if you go to full thirty, our full thirty channel, YouTube bumped us, so we're no uh, longer on YouTube. Okay. We have fallen victim to the censorship suppression of the man, and so I guess they didn't dig what we were saying. So they, uh, yeah, so I'm done with YouTube, man. I'm I'm finished with them. Uh, only reason I post, I still post the show on there is there's some some of our listeners that don't have the podcasting stuff. So, yeah. I mean, so all of our stuff's on full 30, and you and you can see the reloading drill there, too. And I shared the Occam defense when Brian filmed that. I shared that over on the Ready Man side, too. Cool. I mean, you'll have to scroll for days to get down there on the IG, but it's on there, too. Very good. Um, I guess that, that's all our questions we've got. Uh, I don't, unless you guys want to field one on pistol braces. Oh. Which pistol brace do you like the best for AK? Triangle folder or standard 1913 braces. This is from Matthew Lottie. What was the what's the metal one you put on mine, Brian? That's a dig, and um, I mostly like it, but we're actually making our own. Um, you know, I think yours does yours kind of wing ding. Does it kind of rotate if you're not careful? Yes, but that's okay because the standard way that you put it on the knob was was getting in the way so you can flip it around and you can fold either to the left or to the right and move the knob so it's not hitting you in the face so i i really i really like that sig um arm brace so we're we're uh sig has been kind enough to sell us parts and we're making our own now that's um gonna have sling attachment points running down the length of it so you can put the sling wherever on the brace that you want it and um, it'll fold and then it's going to take a tail hook mod one as the brace, which is this funny, it looks kind of like a, a barrette almost, this funny, or like a fish cross section, a fish steak. And um, that clamps onto a buffer tube. And so we're just putting a boss that is the buffer tube 
to clamp that thing onto. I think JMac Customs has also released something very similar to that. And um, so there's there's solutions out there now that well I'll be some I'll be sending you one of the you'll probably get serial number one of that new brace um, for eval there and uh, so those two are cool any I would say anything with a metal strut which is I think what your point was was you don't want the thing flexing around yeah the triangle one tends to flex a little bit and I'm and it shoots I mean it shoots great but it, it's one of those where it's like man I I don't I don't know if I like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think if they changed that to a metal strut, they'd sell the snot out of them. Yeah, it'd be bomber. Yep. And um, the one that you have, Brian, you've got a new brace out, the triangle, uh, the honeycomb, is what I call it, but you call it something else. That's the hex. The hex. hex. That's what it is, the hex. (laughs) Yep, that's going to be out in the folding version pretty soon here. It's a fixed version at the moment, so it's perfect for folks that have a 1913 rear trunnion um, and just want a really nice functional, um, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the big deals with the Woodstock is that you could beat somebody to death with it pretty effectively, or like the way the Afghans and Pakistanis do, they use that thing as a, what a good way to, it's, they use it kind of like a ladder where they will, one guy will hold on to the stock and the other guy will hold on to the front sight, which terrifies me because the guns are loaded when they're doing this, but they'll use it as, as like as a big hook kind of. And, uh, that's one of my, one of my desires with our guns is that we re- maintain the ruggedness of still being able to beat somebody to death with the thing if you had to. And the hex is super burly. It's very lightweight, even though it's aluminum skeletonized and has uh, six different anti-rotation QD points for proper, you know, for setting your sling up just how you want it. Mm -hmm. A big frustration of mine when I'm switching hands with slings that attach at the receiver line or, or in front of that is that when you go to swap hands, you often will grab the sling along with the grip Mm -hmm. by positioning the sling attachment point two or three inches back from the receiver it hangs vertical and gives you way, you know, a, a, a fair margin for grabbing um, without catching the sling too. So if if you're a uh, an ambidextrous nerd like me, you'll really like what we did with the sling there. And then um, another cool aspect is that there's a lot of bungee area for putting a rats right there. And um, so that's the we're giving away one of those this week, aren't we, Marty? That's right. We're going to give away one of those, and we're going to give away a set of your your sights. Yeah, and those are going to work great on um, on an AK. Um, they work on a scar, although you've still got that front sight, and they also work really well on lever guns with the excess pick rail on the top. Mm-hmm. So and we're finding more and more funny applications. I bet they would work great on a 1022 as well. We're still working out um, putting something up front to get our front they side would, on. Uh, they would work great on a Caltech Sub 2000 also. Oh, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah, so there's a bunch of stuff you can throw them on. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's do this. Let's Let's do a giveaway. And we had our... Our good buddy Austin tally up everybody that asked questions. So read off the name. Let me verify and make sure because some of these people are the same on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so I'll let you know who's who's the same. Sounds good. And he's assigned numbers to you. And we're going to do our standard, um, uh, what is that, the Google random number thingy? I'll get on it. Yep. Okay. So hit us, Austin. 
You got the names or? Uh, the like number one is this. Number two is this. Number three is this. Gotcha. So we've got number one at Navy Vet Patriot. Okay. Number two is Tandem Dooley. Number three, Dickie of the Third. Four, Peeman 301. Five, Thomas Childers. Six, Bird Brain Industry. Seven, Mustang Perry. Eight, Craig Jones 603. And then from Facebook, we've got number nine at Chris Zuck. Number 10, Edward Burton. 11, Pierce Taylor. 12, Jonathan Gallup. And 13, Matthew Lottie. Okay, so we got a Pierce uh, is on, he's P Man. So we got to take him out. So we've got to renumber those to where we got 12. Sounds good. And Pierce also sent in an email. He was very uh, aggressive this week or this month. <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw the results, but shout out to Chris Zuck and Dickie the third. Dickie, I think, owns serial like I don't know, the third gun we ever shipped, and Chris is right behind him. Um so nice. thanks for your visit, guys. So what we're gonna do is with those prizes, we're gonna have two winners. So somebody's gonna win the the stock and somebody's gonna win the sites. And then Brian, what I'd also like to do is give away uh, a t shirt or you know, you've got you got yeah. t you got t shirts right. You're in stock on those. Yep. And if somebody wins a hex stock but doesn't have anything to put it on, we'll swap them out for something cool. We the rats tourniquet is one of the only products that we don't make that we sell. And uh, so you know, a family pack of of rats tourniquets or something like that would be a, a a sub if people want to write in and say, hey, I can't use this thing. You know, that's that sort of deal. Okay. Very good. Very good. All right, so um, what we're going to do is, since there are 12 entrants, I want you to randomize 12 times for our first winner. Get ready for it. All right, and, and um, Austin, count his, uh, like when the first number comes up, just count his 12 times. And then whatever gotcha. the 12th number is, that's the winner of the butt stop. And then we'll do it again, and that's going to be the winner of the sites. Cool, cool. All right, we got one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and the lucky number twelve is number eight. Number eight. Who is it? Craig Jones six zero three on Instagram. Nice. So Craig, shoot me an email talkingled at gmail dot com, and again to be able to use that, you got to have the nineteen thirteen pick rail um, trunnion back there. If you don't and have that. Uh, an MCX, you know, there's there's a bunch of other guns out there that have those, right. but yeah. Okay. Or if you just want a cool stock, uh, it is, and you cool. don't care, I mean, we'll, we'll send you that too. Well, they are. Yeah, we did try to put some art into them. All right, let's go for the sights now, and tell us about the sights as we're spinning here. So uh, they are on an eight, on our rail. They give you a um, oh gosh, a two point four inch height over bore so halfway between an ar and an ak and um like i said they work on pretty much anything with the pick rail um little low on an ar-15 um they are lower than like a standard magpul site yeah. and uh but they have four apertures four ghost rings that it's kind of like a, a riverboat paddle wheel and mm -hmm. so you can look for what you want i'd probably keep it on you know, a medium size ring. And then if you want to reach out and touch someone, you flip to the small one and all of a sudden you've got a lot more um, aiming precision. And um, they're 100% made in Idaho. And um, let's see, what else? Yeah, America. Uh, oh, America. <laughs> and uh, 
mil spec type three anno and uh, black oxide on steel parts. Okay, so can you do that randomizer taking number eight out and doing the other ones, or is that too complicated? Uh, I've been spinning here, and Austin will just tell me stop, and that'll okay. be the one. That'll be good. So you're uh, just spinning oh, randomly. Let's go right there. Number six, Bird Brain Industry. Bird Brain. All right, Bird Brain wins the sights. And he had another... Uh, off the wall question or actually we didn't read his question that's the one i'm going to read here in a little bit it's, it's just ridiculous but <laughs> um and now let's do a shirt and and jeff jeff's also associated with black rifle coffee he's one of the the co-founders of black rifle coffee you've got an ak blend right yes we do I want to give away uh, one of those, so I'll I'll buy one of those from you too, and then I'll just tell you who to ship it to. Would that work? Yeah, we can certainly put that together. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Let me know when to stop, Austin. You ready for the next one? Let's go right there. Number five, Thomas Childers. Thomas Childers, good deal. He wins a shirt. And you winners, talkinglead at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. says, AK Corner, Season 2, Episode 10, winner, tell me what you won. Shirt size, if you want the shirt, uh, and then if you don't want the stock, you can't use the stock, then let me know that, and then Brian's going to give you something alternative for, for that. So Now let's do the coffee, the AK, oh, AK blend. We gave, we gave that away last time you were on, uh, Jeff. We did, yeah. Yeah, and Tia really likes that blend, too. She, I'm not a coffee drinker, but she is, and she loved it. You're not a coffee drinker? No, man, I got natural energy. Oh, Coffee has like the opposite effect. I drink it and I just cry. I just like, it zonks me out. Wow. We got one more then? Yeah, we're going to do the coffee now. So do another random. We'll let Jeff count now. We'll let Jeff say when to stop. Ready? Tell me when you're ready, Brian. I'm I'm rolling. One, two, three, go. Eight. Did we already did eight? We already did eight. Okay, one more. Four. Did four already? No. Nope. They're all in a bunch. P-Man 301. All right. P-Man, you get some coffee. It's good coffee, too. Mm. Talkingledgmail.com. Email me. Let me know that you won. I don't get in touch with my winners either, so you have to listen to this show. So if I don't hear from you after a while, then I get the prizes. <laughs> I keep them for myself. No, we we give them we give them away. We'll find an alternative winner. But um, if you're a listener to the show, you know I don't get in touch with you if you win. So you have to listen to the show to win. Gives you an incentive to tune in each and every week. Oh, can we put my guys in there as alternates, uh, Chris and <laughs> the Third? Well, I mean they'll be on the list definitely. There we go. Great. Absolutely. Um, has Dickie won something before? We had one of your guys win something last time. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, my guys have a habit of winning. <laughs> well, I mean, our listeners are your guys, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. My guys are your guys and you gals. <laughs> yeah, we have a fair number of women buying our rifles. It's awesome. I'm, I'm, my personal utopia is where every woman is armed and shoots every rapist and shitbag in the face, <laughs> and that. Utopia. I think the women can pull it off. We just gotta we gotta be uh, better to them on the range and not give them forty four seventies or forty four mags to shoot on their first just day. Just empower and, them. Uh, gotta empower them. Yeah. Yeah. 
build that confidence. So great show, guys. Thank you so much. Um, Jeff, talk about new things that you guys got coming up with all the the company's Ready Man, your books, uh, Black Rifle Coffee, the Beard Company. Are you still doing the Beard Company? No, no. By, uh, I, I let Matt and, and uh, Josh take and run with that. So they, I, I, I was like, you guys, man, best of luck. God bless. Okay, uh, all right. Take it and run with it. Now, now probably my, the big thing that's taking up most of my time right now is, is Full30, F-U-L-L-3-0.com. We're in the process. We've been fervently. We just released the beta version of the uh, of the phone app. Um, people have been waiting forever for that to to get through. The beta version's out. We're we're forecasting that's gonna the the regular version, and it's available on iOS or um, Android right now. And um, so we're anticipating just a couple of weeks. Make sure that there's no bugs in there. People are getting in there and beating it up right now fix any of the bugs and then boom we'll release that we're doing a reskin right now one some of the features that we're going to bring on the whole idea is to again build the community how do we build the two-way community through sharing of lessons and stuff and us on the business side what we're doing is because everybody's gotten kicked off of youtube they're getting you know it's only a matter of time before they get kicked off patreon instagram facebook is choking us down yeah so we're we're the alternative for that. We we own the IP. We built it from the ground up. So nobody's going to shut us down. Amazon's not going to shut us down. YouTube, JW Player, Vimeo, they're not. Gonna, they can't shut us down because it's ours. We own it. And then what we're doing is we're actively looking for ways to help the content creators monetize, so that guys can get on there. And you know, are they going to be able to make a living on there? Eh, you know, maybe maybe. Some outliers will, but they'd be able to put some extra, you know, some extra change in their pocket so that they can keep going as we continue to build the community. And then what we're doing is we're grabbing videos from Full 30 and we're using those. We're cross-referencing some of the lessons learned in Full 30. There's some fantastic information there. We're cross-referencing that over to plantosurvive.com so that when people are going through and looking at their skills, they can go, you know, on the firearms, obviously, and go, hey, here's a video. They can click on it, and it'll nice. take them to full 30 where they'll watch yeah. the video. We need an advocate in a social media platform, definitely. We've, we, uh, we are tantalizingly, some of the folks that know full 30, we've, we've, you know, we've had our ups and downs. We're bootstrapping the whole thing, um, so we're, we're not in debt. Um, we, it's owned by um, pro 2A guys. As a matter of fact, you know, very quickly here, Full Thirty is going to be owned by two former Green Berets and a staunch outdoorsman, and that's and that's it. And so, you know, we'll never we'll never give up people's two A rights or their right to the freedom of speech that they can get on there and talk about what it is they love, you know, with guns and why it's so important for you know for our country and for our freedom. Very cool, very cool. And if you leadheads would like to uh, see Talking Lead on there, shoot Jeff an email. Reach out to him and let him know you'd like to hear Talking Lead on there. Absolutely. So Full 30, so Jeff at Full 30, F-U-L-L 30, the number 30.com. And uh, blast me an email. If there's guys that are out there and you want to be content creators, we go through by hand and choose the content creators. We haven't opened it up. Um, It's very easy. It's nothing to get on there. But but we, we confirm people who are, say they are who they say they are before we 
before we let them on the platform because we're we want to make sure that we avoid any you know any trolls or issues that that could pop up. But right. super easy to get on there. So and actually, Jared Markle, um, who runs the backside of Student of the Gun, mm-hmm. um, friend Paul of the Markle, show, been on many times. Yep, and Jared is the CEO now of Full Thirty, and uh, that that nice. guy is amazing. Like Jared Markle, you great, know the whole market. Great business I'm glad you uh, snapped him up. He is a very capable and talented individual. I I can't wait to see what he does with it. That's great news. Lofador. He's doing some amazing stuff. He he really is. He's. I mean, he is. I mean, yeah. Paul did a great job when he raised that guy because I mean I can't say enough good stuff about Jared. He's just a good human being. Very cool. You guys go check out Full Thirty, Ready Man Network. What's the handles on that? Uh, ready man is just readyman.com plan to survive is plan number two survive.com um yeah go go check out all that we've got a bunch of endeavors but our main push right now that we've got going to to get out there because there's just such a need for it is full 30 so we're we're pulling out all the stops and just investing in that thing to get it to where it needs to be so that we can serve the community very good brian what uh, Occam Defense? You were talking off air. You got some things you can and can't talk about. Let's talk about yeah, both yeah. of us. <laughs> we'll save some of the some of the news for uh, next episode. But uh, Austin's out here helping me cut metal on uh, my first design, which Austin helped me with when he I think he was still in college. Um, it's a uh, called the RST. You mentioned it earlier. Um, really well, I half ass mentioned it. I apologize. Yeah, that's all good. Um, no, it's a. I got the uh, R right. You did get that right. Uh, it's a rear sight base for the AK, so it replaces the block that has the sight leaf on it with the fixed sight. So you've always got your backup irons, which I think is incredibly important on a defensive weapon. But you also have a chunk of pick rail. And so if you are an OG wood AK guy, but you want to run a red dot, and Marty's got a beautiful picture one up there um, on our, our the video for this recording. Um, it works super well. It does exactly what it says it does. And um, so we're, we're manufacturing that part this week. And um, we have a foldy version of the hex that's going to be coming out in the next month or so. And what was the other thing that we were going to announce that we talked about? Oh, yeah. This is big news. <laughs> um, Drum roll. We will have introduced a new type of muzzle mounting system for the AK. So in other episodes, we've talked about how horrific it is to mount a suppressor on 14-1 left threads. And also on the foul, just anything where you're registering off the muzzle face is really hard to get right. Um, You have to be below a ten thousandth of an inch um, in flatness and perpendicularity to the axis that the bullet travels uh, in order to have a good suppressor mount. Well, we got tired of that, and so we came up with a heat fit system where we dunk the barrel in liquid nitrogen and heat up the muzzle device, and they ordinarily wouldn't slide past each other. But when you get them extremely far apart in temperature, all of a sudden those two rings grow and shrink um, so that you can slide the muzzle device on precisely once. And then when the two reach the same temperature, they're effectively cold welded together. You'll never get them off again. And uh, so what that does is it takes the muzzle face, which is really hard to do right, and 
changes what's called the datum or the reference point to the outside of the barrel, which is really easy to get right. So every gun comes off perfect. And instead of us having to charge a lot of money and use a lot of time um, fitting these threaded devices, now we can slap one on in two minutes and have it be perfect. And uh, so that's really exciting for us. There's a Vortex flash hider and a brake, and um, they'll be available as order options very soon. If you've already ordered a rifle, uh, you'll be contacted about whether you, you'll likely be contacted as to whether you want to change to that or not. Um, but we're really jazzed about them. Very good. That's that's some big news. And then, of course, you're holding out for next month. He's going to be dropping some even bigger news. For you that's right. Yeah, right. I can't wait. <laughs> and then uh, Century Arms, you know, they're just they're doing their best to keep up with the demand. They're uh, cranking them out just as as quick as they can get the parts. Um, same thing, U.S. Palm for the mags and the grips and ammo. I mean, my God, um, you know, it's just nearly impossible to get any ammo right now. But they're they're still importing and and making it and bringing it in and. Um, just as soon as they get it in, it's sold. So you just got to be, you know, quick to grab and, and ready to go on their website and be looking every day. Um, presenting sponsors of Talking Lead AK Corner, Century Arms. Check them out. And um, IWI. Don't let me forget about IWI US. We're going to get Jeremy back on. It was a great episode that we did with Jeremy with IWI US. Uh, is that the one you missed, Brian? It is, and I was sad to miss it because I'm a giant fan of the Galil. Um, IWI, they have some very clever people working for them. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of designs out that are quote-unquote new designs that major gun companies have put out that are straight knockoffs of the Galil. And um, and that's great. I think, you know, Picasso said, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So I don't think there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. However, you know, the... The Israelis are are some really clever people, and they make a great firearm. So I I really enjoyed listening to that episode, and I wish I'd gotten asked some questions because I'm a fan. Yeah, well, of course, you know, make they make the the Tavor also, uh, where we've been talking about bullpups with Caltech. Uh, I want to talk about the Tavor, so we'll get Jeremy on the regular show, and we'll talk about the Tavor, and they've even got an, an AR that they're they're making too, the Zion 15, and a pistol. And they got a pistol, yeah, called the Masada that I'm pretty interested in checking out too. Yeah, they've also got the uh, the the TS12 out now, the Tavor TS12, the shotgun, which I have not shot yet, but I've been mm. hearing some some stories about it. So go support those that support the Talking Lead podcast, our our sponsors, our friends of the show. Let them know you appreciate everything that they're doing, not only for the show but for our 2A community. And and go show Jeff some love with the full thirty guys. Go and and subscribe. And if you're not already a, a subscriber to Full Thirty, which probably most of our listeners uh, are in the know and they're you know they're aware of Full Thirty, but we get new people every day. Uh, we've been we've been running a contest with uh, Keltec and Mission First Tactical Buck Nas Fioki Ammo, where uh, we're giving away a, a CP33 which is Keltec's 22 target pistol. Uh, you know, it'll hold 33 rounds in their magazine. We're giving that away. We're giving away a custom holster from Mission First Tactical. That's the only one that they've ever made for the CP33. So you'll have a one-of-a-kind holster. And there's a cool um, graphic that they've put on there with our logo and their logo and uh, the sponsors. 
Buck Knives included in that is a 119 special 75th anniversary uh, collector's knife. They don't, you can't get it anymore. They don't make them. They don't sell them in the stores. Uh, that's cool. Fioki Ammo is giving away a box of ammo, like uh, 1,500 rounds of ammo for that uh, CP33. Keltex putting in one of their CL43 flashlights, and you're going to get a custom talking lead Mission First Tactical dump tray that's included with that too. Somewhere around $1,000 uh, total. And just go to our Facebook page. There's a link there. We put links in our Instagram, uh, on Facebook. All the sponsors have put links up too. And it's one of those gleans where you go and like our Facebook and uh, Instagrams and you know do certain things, you get more entries. And we've got thousands and thousands of entrants right now. It's only going to be running as you, list, as you listen to this show. Um, the 25th of July is when it ends. So you've got some time. Go enter for a chance to win that. And uh, my whole point in saying that was, you know, we've picked up several thousand new listeners to the show. So it's, uh, it's been really good. And welcome to all our new listeners to the Talking Lead podcast. And, hey, Marty, if I could uh, poke in one last time here and give yeah. a plug full 30. Um, you know, Jeff takes an enormous number of risks on businesses. And the number of entrepreneurs who are in tech who are also conservative is relatively rare. And so when we find these guys who are willing to sack up and take a big risk in tech and they're on our side, we need to really get behind them and push as hard as we friggin' can because free speech is seriously under attack right now. And what Jeff's doing is is really important. He, hopefully he makes a good dollar out of it at the end, but what, he, what he's doing is really good for our culture. And so I just encourage everybody to, you know, do the, the chain letter thing of, hey, you know, tag five of your friends with full 30, get on as subs and drive this thing because we can drive from the bottom up while he's driving from the top down and really accelerate his growth. Very good. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. I got an idea. So when I get done, I'll, I'll tell you. So that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Tune in each and every month. Uh, season two, we've only got two more episodes left, so uh, they're going to be big ones. We've got some big names lined up. Can't tell you who it is just yet, but Brian knows who we got lined lined up coming up next. Uh, and uh, go and, and, like I said, show all our sponsors and everybody some love. Jeff, thank you again for being our guest. This is our third appearance on the Talking Lead podcast, so you're an official Leadhead now. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and big thanks to all our sponsors again, Century Arms, Occam Defense Solutions, IWI US, US Palm, Fioki Ammo, and 212 Training Group. Go show them all some love and uh, let them know how much you enjoy this. Maybe we'll get a season three uh, out of it. So until then, guys, we're going to be stocking up with our ammo, making sure our AKs are clean and ready to go and waiting for the next outbreak. Not too clean. Not too clean. <laughs> there is there is a such thing as too clean. <laughs> there is. Yeah. <laughs>
Was, was it on Instagram or was it on Facebook? I believe Instagram. I saw it. Here's here's the question, and I don't know where this came from, but we're we're also we also have listeners on the Firearms Radio Network. So just oh, cool. a little tidbit, uh, Firearms Radio Network subscribers, if you want to get the show sooner, go to our direct link, Talking Lead, on all the podcasting apps, and you typically get it a week sooner than everybody else. So if you find yourself missing out on these giveaways and uh, contests, that's that's why. Um, Bird Brain, Bird Brain Industries. There is only one question, and because Lefty is a part of the Firearms Radio Network, that question is... Would you rather have a nipple-sized penis or a penis-sized nipple? <laughs> I don't get it. It must be so. I, I can wear a sports bra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Well, seeing how my wiener is nipple-sized, I guess I would rather have a nipple-sized, a penis-sized nipple. <laughs> so it'd be the same thing, right? <laughs> it's the same. You know, so there's a there's a weird fact that the happiest women are with men with micro penises, which is like a penis sized nipple. And my personal theory is that they know that they can't get it done with their dick. So they make sure and pay attention to their lady and make sure she's happy. And so I think we can all learn from this. Or they pay they, someone they pay who can. <laughs> it, it reminds me of that movie. Um, was it the, the bachelor not the bachelor party um where the, oh yeah the, it was the hangover the hangover yeah the asian dude the leslie chang yes yes <laughs> did somebody drop oh, a peanut <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious <laughs> jeff still is not answered i i he seems to be contemplative yeah that's a, it's, it's one a, of those no a, win questions you know you can't it's win it's a double edged sword there <laughs> 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 Unless they're Farrah Fawcett, you guys remember Farrah Fawcett? Oh yeah. Are y'all old enough to remember her? Oh yeah. 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 I had a poster of her on my wall when I was a kid. Oh, I had two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect! Great show. Well, Great way show. down into the gutter. So we're yeah, that was a good way to finish.